again, the first thing I want to say is, you know, thanks so much for everyone being here. My name is Brad Miller, and just very quickly, I'm a, um, I'm a former Army officer, um, served a total of about 19 years in the Army, and uh, resigned from the service in late 2022, so I've been out of the Army for a little over a year. I've got two other co-hosts that are with me tonight, Jordan Carr and John Franklin. So I'm going to pass it over to Jordan real quick just to give a, a very brief introduction of herself, and then we'll pass it to John, who will give a introduction of himself, and then also a very quick prayer, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Um, as Brad mentioned, I was an Air Force Intel officer, was discharged over the COVID-19 mandates, um, and with a you know, proud to be part of this group of veterans who are continuing to fight for justice and accountability and providing, you know, actionable um, solutions to things and not just, um, you know, complaining about what's going on. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm John Frankman. I was a Special Forces Green Bray who left the military in July, chose not to get the uh, COVID vax mandate, so just lost out on enough career opportunities that decided I wanted to step out and have just been fortunate enough since getting out in July to um, publish a couple op-eds and be able to speak out on this. And now very much feel uh, kind of called by God to try to fight for justice, fight for service members. And I mean, it's really a fight for the country. Um, so I'll go ahead and open us up in prayer and then we'll bring up uh, Rob to speak. So please join me in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much for this new year. And we thank you so much for the new opportunities and this place that you've brought us into. Uh, we know that you are providential over all and even the evil that um, that happens, that happens to us, happens to our country is something that you allow so that we can bring a greater good out from it. We ask you so much, God, to watch over us spiritually, to protect us and to just bring good out of this evil, help us to be faithful to you, watch over our country and bless, uh, this Twitter space, um, and help it to be fruitful to our cause. Pray this in your name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much, John. So, um, I just want to take just a couple of minutes and kind of go through how we got here, why we're even having this spaces event tonight, and then what we're going to do during our time here. And I will say that we will probably aim for uh, maybe about 90 minutes or so. We'll kind of see how the conversations go, but, uh, but that's about what we'll, we'll probably aim for. Um, and even while the event is going on, if you would, please continue to share and maybe we'll get some more people in here. But um, let's talk about what has happened today and how we got here. And then I'm going to pass it over to Rob Green and he can talk about what happened for us over the past couple of weeks to even get to today. So as many of you are aware, um, today was a pretty big day on Twitter for those of us who are in this group. Um, many of you are probably aware, but if you're not, at 4 a.m. Eastern time, an email was sent by myself to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and some other senior military officials, making them aware of the Declaration of Military Accountability, which is the letter that has been passed around uh, all day today, which many of you have seen, many of you have read, and many of you have shared. So the objective behind sending that out so early in the morning was, first of all, today is New Year's Day, so we wanted to kind of kick off the uh, the new year with a bang, so to speak. Um, we also wanted to send this early in the morning to kind of get ahead of everyone as they're kind of waking up after celebrating the new year, et cetera. But also we knew that the recipients of this email, they're not even working today, right? Because I mean, everyone takes off New Year's Day. So in that regard, we would get ahead of them. So I, um, 
I live in the central time zone. So for me, it was 3 a.m. at exactly 3 a.m. on the dot. I hit send and I, I sent um, a, a short email explaining why I was sending the email and what the declaration of military accountability is. I sent that to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and 17 other recipients. As soon as I did that, I then uh, took a screenshot of the body of the letter, you know, without all of the, the, uh, the other pages of signatures, and uh, put that in a tweet, which I put out at 3.07 a.m. Central Time, which obviously would be 4.07 Eastern. Um, and then just throughout the day, you know, it got shared so many times that it's, it's, it has now been seen 1.5 million times. You know, thanks to all you guys. So that's kind of what happened today. Um, none of us could have foreseen that this would take off the way that it did and that it would generate as much steam as it did. And so we decided the best way for us to kind of capitalize on the momentum that is building is for us to do a Twitter spaces event. So we can kind of talk about where we go from here because we kept getting the same question throughout the day. Hey, this is great, but what do we do? Or how do I help? How do I support? What can I do? Where can I sign? So we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit tonight. But um, so that's a very quick rundown of what happened kind of from 4 a.m. Eastern until now. So I want to pass it over to Rob Green to kind of explain how we even got to this letter that has been seen by millions of people today. Uh, Rob, please. Okay. Hey, everybody. Can you hear me? Uh, Brad, Jordan? Yeah, sure can. Okay, great. Um, so I, I'm deeply honored to be here with you all and so grateful uh, for all the patriots that, that we're seeing out there across the country who are behind us, supporting us, um, and trying to make sure that that we see accountability. So some of you may, uh, may know, some of you may not. Uh, I am an active duty uh, commander in the Navy. Uh, and part of uh, what I wanted to do with this letter was go on the offensive. And we have been fighting um, the, some of this evil you know, in the ranks, in the military, in our nation, in a lot of different ways for a long time. We fought the, the mandate for the vaccine when it came out. Uh, we had to go to federal court. We started seeing wins. And then we uh, got undermined um, because the NDAA, while it rescinded the mandate, it did not declare it unlawful, which it was uh, the way it was implemented. It did not repair the harms done. It did not restore anybody uh, to uh, their state before the mandate. Um, it, it didn't do a lot. And then the DOJ, on behalf of the DOD, ran to each of the six federal courts where we had clear precedent setting wins uh, that were going to fi hopefully final rulings, they uh, requested to get all these cases dismissed and they have been successful in almost every case. And, and so part of what we wanted to do since that was about a year ago, uh, we wanted to make sure that all of this is documented. So um, I wrote a book about what happens called Defending the Constitution Behind Enemy Lines. Please go check it out. So many of the stories of the patriots who stood up to this are told in that book. Um, because what we've been seeing is that they are trying to dismiss, pretend like nothing ever happened. Hey, we all made mistakes. We didn't know what was going on. Well, they did know because we told them. We told them in thousands of internal memos and emails and complaints and reports. And they were all ignored because so many of our most senior leaders 
decided that they would rather continue in their career, not risk anything in order to, um, you know, to make sure that, that they could continue without having to take any risk. And so this latest offensive is all about making sure that they know there is risk. There is risk because we, since no one else will, we will hold you accountable as best we can. Now, for most people, and, and the language of the, um, of the Declaration of Military Accountability is written very specifically, most people are not called to run for Congress. Most people um, and most of us will never be in a position to actually hold them accountable, recall them from retirement, and uh, ensure that they um, you know, face justice uh, for the crimes that have been committed. Um, we're not going to be in that position necessarily, most most folks. And so the petition is written, the pledge that, oh, sorry, the, the, the declaration is written and the pledge that people take is written so that everybody can join in in whatever way they can. For most people, that's going to be prayer and general support. Um, and so um, we have a petition that we've written up um, and I, hopefully somebody can drop it in here or put it um, out on on Twitter here in a few minutes. But We've written this petition so that other people can join in the 231 people who signed the declaration and they can throw their support behind it publicly as well. And we hope to, we hope to get millions of people to sign this. And um, the petition uh, is written such that it's expanding beyond just the military. We care about the military. We're all veterans or active service members, but the petition is going to expand to include holding accountable anyone in any of the three branches of our government who have broken the law, who have trampled our rights and who have denied us the ability to live in freedom. And we're going to recall them. We're going to vote them out. We're going to do whatever it takes to win this country back. And so that's, that's the impetus behind um, what we've done, why we've gotten this letter out there. Um, why we're doing the petition, we're going on the offensive because any other option is handing the country over to people who want to make it not America. Hey, Rob, can you explain a little bit, you know, we've gotten a lot of messages from other veterans who want to sign on to the the declaration. Um, can you explain kind of like, you know, what the purpose of the petition is, um, you know, after the, the declaration has been sent out and why, you know, why it was, 231 um, signers and we're not opening up the, the declaration to more. Yeah, absolutely. So the declaration, I mean, I, I would have loved to have had thousands of people sign it, but we were, we were fighting a, um, I mean, we're in the middle of a fifth generation war right now. Um, it's not kinetic yet. Um, and we hope it never becomes that way. We pray it never becomes that way, but it is a fifth generation war that we're fighting. And so we wanted to make sure that this operation, um, the initial salvo of the offensive to win hearts and minds um, did not get undermined in some way, um, did not get leaked um, so that we could control the narrative and we could get this out there first. And so we, we kept it uh, in, mainly in internal groups and trusted people and, and kicked it around to try to get as many signers as we could but the idea, like the Declaration of Independence with our founding fathers, the idea is once that thing is signed and out there in public, we're not going to add any more names to it. It's, it's now uh, a, an artifact of history 
so to speak, our, our declaration of military accountability. But what we do want to do and need to do is expand this to show America how many people feel this way, how many people feel betrayed by their government, how many people now live their lives um, knowing that the government is trying to control every aspect of it. And we're fed up. We're done. We, the people, are not going to put up with this anymore. Um, we remove our consent to be ruled by, governed by people who are going to enrich themselves at our expense. And so um, the petition, uh, we, we have a website. Uh, we're still working on it today. Um, it wasn't quite ready, but it's going to be militaryaccountability.com. And we're going to put the petition there. We're going to put the open letter um, the Declaration of Military Accountability there. And then everybody's going to be able to go in and sign on um, on the website electronically. Uh, you can add your name to the list to this petition. Um, and you're going to be ple it's a pledge as well. It's going to be a pledge to support the declaration that we've made today and a pledge to do everything that you can, uh, each and every American who signs it, everything you can to ensure that we hold accountable all government officials. Hey, thanks so much, Rob, for um, taking a few minutes to go through that. Really appreciate that. And, you know, I want you guys to know that, um, you know, Rob really is the true leader here. I mean, this is a guy who is still wearing the uniform, puts himself at great risk, uh, not just to write a book that he wrote and published uh, a couple of months ago. In fact, if I remember correctly, that book was actually aptly released on july 4th of last year but puts himself at risk again just by uh crafting the letter that you've all seen so what we're going to do because we're limited in the number of speakers that we can allow if you have questions that you would like to ask of rob please drop them in the chat and then my co-hosts here john and jordan they'll look for some of those questions and um and grab some of those and ask them of Rob, because I'm sure some of you have some very good questions or even just some comments that you'd like to tell Rob. So we'll take just a couple of minutes and maybe allow Rob to, uh, to answer some of those. Yeah. Thank you, Brad. And, and, and real quick, I have, um, I have another interview I've got to do at the top of the hour. So I am going to have to, to scoot probably in about 30 minutes, but thank you for the opportunity. And while we're looking at questions, you guys might be able to see that at the top of the chat, we added the uh, petition. So you'll be able to look at the language of the petition. We also have dropped the letter that was sent at 4 a.m. this morning. So you can read the letter. You can also read the petition and look at that uh, information while we're collecting questions. Hey, Rob. Um in the meantime, while we're looking for questions, um, can you explain for those who are not veterans or who are not service members, can you explain the importance of the oath of office? Um, I know you, you wrote about it in your book. Um, so that way, you know, the American people have a better understanding of why it's so important for veterans and service members to, you know, uphold their oath and, and what that solemn vow, you know, between us and God actually means. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that question. So, the oath, the oath is very important um, in that we're we're pledging, uh, you know, swearing, solemnly swearing uh, to to support to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Um, and what that means uh, for many of us, we kind of always thought uh, historically of 
the enemies is primarily the being, you know, foreign adversaries and then the domestic enemies mainly being terrorist threats, the Timothy McVeigh's, things like that. Um, you know, police actions can take care of those for the most part. But what we've learned over uh, the last few years, and it was eye-opening to me when I kind of realized what was happening, that the most insidious domestic threat to the Constitution are those threats which would take away your individual rights that the Constitution is designed to protect. The Constitution does two main things. It establishes the form of our government, but then it gives primacy over that government gives primacy to individual rights. Individual rights are the most important thing. And so um, any you know, government official law, anything that attempts to trample, unnecessarily trample individual rights is something that must be opposed because it is the insidious, most insidious domestic enemy that we're facing. And so that, that's what it's all about um, for us who've kind of come to this realization that that domestic enemy is a little bit of a different flavor than what we had originally thought um, that it was. Now, though, there, there are still terrorist-type domestic enemies that we must combat, but um, the, the trampling of individual liberty is the thing that um, is, is an, it was an eye-opener for me when I kind of saw this thing. Uh, and then one one other element to note about this is I, I implore every time I, I, I do an interview and I talk about this, I implore everyone, please, you must continue to follow all lawful orders. But you have an obligation to disobey and to resist the unlawful orders. And so it's very important to take the time to try to figure out which one is which, because we now know that our leaders are not willing to make those tough decisions and put themselves at risk in order to try to stop something. They're not willing to put their stars on the table. And so at every level of the chain of command, we must be very careful to ensure that we are determining what's lawful and what's not. And, um, and unfortunately, most of the JAG Corps is complicit in this. They, they work for the commanders and they try to um, frame what the commander wants to do and find some loophole in the law, some way to explain away. Um, and we're just not allowed to use common sense. So they don't want us to just use common sense. This doesn't make any sense. Why, why should we do this? And so that's, that's one of those things that it's going to be very difficult for people at first when they come to this realization that their own government potentially could be the worst enemy of the Constitution. Thank you, Rick. Yeah. Um, there is a question in the chat um, from Joe from Alaska. He says, for those that signed, what's the most likely adverse action that will be taken against them? So um, we've had some people that have had some egregious stuff happen to them. I, I talk about some of those things in, in the book that came out July 4th. Um, for, for me personally, my experience was a little bit different. Um, every time that I, I did something like this, you know, sort of aggressive. I mean, I, my first thing was a, a mutiny complaint against three and four star admirals. And um, so they, they did not really know what to do with me and sort of the, the bully in the playground took a step back. So what many of us have done, especially in this group of, of signers, we've stepped into that space every time there was a backing down. 
And so I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm not sure if they're, uh, you know, I was fired from my job back in uh, January of 2022. And then uh, seven months later, as we were winning in court, um, they put me back to work. So I'm, I'm back to work just like, like everybody else. And I have responsibilities for my, in my regular, my regular billet. Um, I'm not sure how this is going to impact that. I have some very supportive uh, immediate leaders um, and I, I think they're great, uh, great people. And uh, I'm not sure. I'm hoping that some of those, especially those named in our open letter will come to the realization that, you know, that we could, we, we could be the most um, supportive, loyal sons and daughters uh, in their services. If, if they will try to repair the harms and join us in fighting some of this lawlessness. Um, but if, if they don't, then, you know, we've taken this pledge to do everything we can. And, and for most of us, that's probably just what we're doing now, speaking about it, speaking the truth, um, being courageous, regardless of what happens and taking on some risk, uh, prayer, obviously. Um, but to, to answer the question, you know, they, they could theoretically try to come ask, after us for, for speaking um, this truth, for declaring what our intentions are here, to lawfully, um, within the, the context of the law and what's permitted uh, morally and legally to hold them accountable. We're not advocating anything outside of the bounds of the law. We're not uh, absolutely not um, advocating for any kind of violence or anything like that. Um, so it's, it's very important for everybody to understand that. But we are intending to ensure that the law is followed and that those who broke the law, which we can clearly demonstrate how that was done, that there is accountability for that. And if they come after us for it, that, that is the risk that these 231 have taken and anyone else who's willing to sign on with us with the petition once it's up on militaryaccountability.com, that's the risk that we're all willing to take. So what, what that looks like, I don't know. It depends on um, you know, how egregious leaders want to be or if they want to join us. Uh, we would love to lock arms with some of these leaders, even the ones we name. Thanks, Rob. Um, one more question from the chat is from Joan. Do you really think that there will be accountability? Who will hold them accountable? Seems that certain government officials are above the law. Yeah, that's that's something we've seen, unfortunately, for a while now. We did a, a report to Congress with all the details um, back in 2022. And, you know, it, it did not. There was there were a few uh, stalwart members of, of the House and the Senate that were very supportive, um, but ultimately not able to do a lot in, in support. So it is, it is going to be a, a long-term project. Uh, we have found that we can no longer go to other people and demand somebody else take care of this. Uh, so what we've come to the realization is it's us. We'll do it. If no one else is going to take the risk and try to ensure that the law is followed and accountability is had, we'll do it. And this is the only way that I could think of as we were brainstorming this, it's the only way that we could think to actually achieve this. Now, the odds are very low. I mean, we're going to have to have a, a nationwide revival 
and, and come back to some core values and principles, I think, to get to the point where we could actually um, do what we pledge that we want to do in this document. But in the meantime, the secondary effect of this is that hopefully our leaders realize that there is some risk. And so for the next five, 10, 20 years, maybe we'll get some better decisions, some more careful decisions, some decisions from these leaders that support and defend the constitutional rights of service members and all Americans, because they know that around the bend, there's several million Americans who've signed on to a petition to say, we're going to hold you accountable if you don't. And so there are, there are, Maybe we aren't able to ultimately achieve what we want to achieve with this. You know, that's all in God's hands. But all we can do is our best, and we pledge to try. Hey, thanks, Rob. That was um, that was fantastic. And I just want to say too that at the end of the day, because this is a, this is a great question that I know a lot of people have. At the end of the day. People who put their names on this document, these are the courageous individuals that we wish were indicative of everyone that we have in the military. But sadly, it's just not that way. So, but when you decide to go down this path, you are incurring some risk. And Rob and I and the others have talked about this. And I just want to assure you that every word that made it into the letter was meticulously weighed. I mean, there was a lot of kind of tweaking and reconfiguration of language to make sure that we were communicating exactly what we intended to communicate and not communicating something that we did not intend to, to uh, communicate because we did not want our words misconstrued. But yes, there is some, some risk involved. We just wanted to make sure that we were not taking unnecessary risk. But um, I did want to pass it to Nick, who wanted to, uh, to speak up for a couple of minutes. So Nick, go ahead over to you. Thanks, Brad and Rob. Thanks for everything you guys have been saying. So I want to touch on that question about, you know, how will they be held accountable? When will they be held accountable? And the very first thing that comes to mind is there is precedent for this, right? I mean, if you look at the Nazis, how long has it been since World War II? And it's easily every month you're hearing about a new Nazi, even now, who is still being held accountable. Who I mean, they might be 99 years old. It doesn't matter. The point is there are people who care enough and with our group, there are people who care enough to make this happen. I know one of the reasons that I'm running for office is because I, I intend to make this happen. You know, you can't, there's only so much you can do unless you have a seat at the table and Rob said it, you know, correctly before it's, it's not something that everyone's going to have the opportunity to do. It's not something that everyone's going to be called by God to do but it's something where there are enough of us and some of us here in this space right now who are running for office. We plan on getting an office and then we plan on making change. However long that takes, you know, I don't care if it takes me to the end of my life to be able to hold these people accountable. That is fully my intent and I will do everything that I can legally and morally, as we've said in the declaration to hold them to account. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Sam, Sam Schumacher, over to you. Hey, appreciate it. Um, I, I didn't have any plan on plans on talking in this the space tonight, but after that question, I, I've got to weigh in. <clears throat> um, so, I am a investigative journalist. I am recently retired from the military.
why should he have to reapply? He was at night. We allowed some brainstorming this. And with our group, there are not going to do anything to comments. And I, I commiserate with all of them. I understand what you're seeing. There, there will be accountability. Who I did want to pass it to Nick, who wanted to, uh, to speak up for a couple of minutes. So, Nick, go ahead. Over to you. Thanks, Brad and Rob. Thanks for everything you guys have been saying. So I want to touch on that question about, you know, how will they be held accountable? When will they be held accountable? And the very first thing that comes to mind is there is precedent for this, right? I mean, if you look at the Nazis, how long has it been since World War II? And it's easily every month you're hearing about a new Nazi, even now, who is still being held accountable. Who I mean, they might be 99 years old. It doesn't matter. The point is there are people who care enough. And with our group, there are people who care enough to make this happen. I know one of the reasons that I'm running for office is because... I, I intend to make this happen. You know, you can't, there's only so much you can do unless you have a seat at the table. And Rob said it, you know, correctly before it's, it's not something that everyone's going to have the opportunity to do. It's not something that everyone's going to be called by God to do, but it's something where there are enough of us. And some of us here in this space right now who are running for office, we plan on getting an office and then we plan on making change. However long that takes, you know, I don't care if it takes me to the end of my life to be able to hold these people accountable, that is fully my intent. And I will do everything that I can legally and morally, as we've said in the declaration, to hold them to account. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Sam, Sam Schumate, over to you. Hey, appreciate it. Um, I, I didn't have any plan on plans on talking in this, this space tonight, but after that question, I, I, I've got to weigh in. <clears throat> um, so I am a... Investigative journalist. I am recently retired from the military. Met with him. Uh, Why should he have to reapply? Who broke the law that change however long that takes? Who broke the law that as a investigative journalist, I am recently retired from the military. Ask them the pointed question. We allowed something to take place under our watch. That Every word that made it. We have said it is our lifelong. So, so. We're into the. To, uh, to spend the comes of mind. I mean, they tend where there are fully. Mind. Appreciate it. Um, I, I didn't have any plan on plans on talking in this, this space tonight, but after that question, I, I, I've got to weigh in. <clears throat> um, so I am a investigative journalist. I am recently retired uh, for doing this kind of work. I've been at the forefront of this specifically. The, the illegal order, or excuse me, the illegal execution of the order to take this drug, this drug, which is currently decimating our military. And there are so many people in this country that want justice now. 
They want something reversed now. I field this question all the time on the social media platforms I run. And people say, this isn't going to do anything. What is 231 boys or people going to do? This went in the, jo- the Joint Chiefs of Staff. This went in their dumpster. Nobody cares. What are you going to do that somebody else hasn't already tried? You should file a lawsuit. <clears throat> so many comments. So many things that people say that are negative, that are pessimistic. How is this going to bring accountability? What can we do? They advocate for violence. We need to do something now. We need to take up arms against our government. I see all these comments and I, I commiserate with all of them. I understand what you're seeing is the destruction and the, just the violation of justice. We as human beings, we need justice. And when we see something unjust, it is against our DNA to allow it to last, to, to, to just occur around us. And we, we say, what do we do about this? We have to think generationally when we're talking about what is being done to America. We have to think generationally. What are we handing off to our kids? We allowed. I'm 40 years old. My parents are in their mid-60s, close to 70. We allowed something to take place under our watch that is destroying our nation. We allowed criminals to take seat at the highest levels of our government across every every federal agency. We allowed general officers to put stars on their chest. We ignored what took place in the DOD. We disconnected ourselves as Americans. We said the military, they do their own thing. And we paced ourselves away from that. And we said, that's not my business. And we allowed criminals to take over our military. This is a generational fight. We are not going to fix this overnight. This letter that I have signed, along with these incredible patriots who you don't fully realize what they are putting on the line, those who are still in uniform, what they have put on the line, what they are risking. We have said it is our lifelong pledge to not allow this injustice to sit as it is. We are going to fight against this for the rest of our lives. We are making a declaration to America. This is the first day this letter has gone out. It is going to go out. It is going to continue to move. People are going to talk about it because what I fight for now is not showing the military what is going on in the ranks, but I fight to show America what is going on within the ranks of the Department of Defense, their military. The folks who, who, the folks who raise their right hand and say, I want to defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, the, 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 the framework for our freedom. They are being subjugated to illegal activity, to criminal activity. And we've seen it play out in some of the most horrendous ways over the last several years. And these, this is by design. Every single one of these people have been put in place. I could go down this road and I could talk about the last eight, 10 years, and I won't do that to you. But what I'm saying is you have to understand this fight is generational. And this 
This will likely take years and years and years. We are promising that we will fill these seats, that we will move into positions where we have voices and authority, and we will hold every single one of these general officers and others who broke the law, who broke the law that, as others have said before me, it was put in front of them. We showed them the law, thousands of emails and documents. We have insider emails that show they were talking about these documents and knew this stuff and that they were intentionally trying to hide it and cover it up and, and dismiss it and find loopholes, as was previously stated through JAG. We will hold them to account for what they did. That is the answer. This is a generational fight. You must take the place of somebody who, who stands up and understands what is play, taking place in the DOD, what is taking place across the entire federal government, and you start to get involved in your communities, and you start to get involved by speaking out wherever you possibly can. Whatever, whatever small platform you have, small, big, whatever, you speak out against the criminal conduct that you see, that you start to educate yourself on, what's the, on what the Constitution says, on what the laws say. If you see something crazy, you need to read into it and say, why are these folks saying that this is an unlawful, an unlawful mandate? Is it just because it's hurting them? Or is there, is there something behind this that actually makes it unlawful? I'm going to read up on this. I'm going to look for resources and, and, and find out. And you start to speak out. That is what we are trying to do. All right, I'll stop talking now. Go ahead. Hey, thank you, brother. Very, very well said. Uh, John, over to you. Hey, I just wanted to chime in. Let me know if you guys have trouble hearing me. I know I didn't, I, uh, didn't come in clear earlier, but one thing you guys can do right now to help us out is if you're in this chat, continue to retweet it, continue to pass it on to others. Um, also follow those people who are in this chat. We have a lot of people who are running for office, so those folks signed this letter. You can go on ahead and you can follow them. You can follow us. It's really not going to matter until it matters to politicians. That's what I'm here to speak to you guys about. Since getting out of the military in July, I've kind of made this sort of a full-time job to try to sort of lobby politicians to try to get some stuff done. So I've tried to do different interviews, getting op-eds in, but also have gone up to Congress, uh, went up on a couple occasions and met with various staffs. It even culminated in a meeting with Jordan Carr, Brianna Cespedes, myself, meeting with 11 different staffs on the Senate side, House side, talking about the NDAA. So the kind of measures that we've been trying to push, the practical ones that our legislators have the ability to do, are one, getting different kind of congressional hearings, and that's going to help raise awareness, sh shed light on these problems. That's kind of what we're doing right now. Uh, also, they can make different amendments in the National Defense Authorization Act. And most recently, the new National Defense Authorization Act came out and it didn't do anything for us. So what I'm trying to stress right now is this is why the letter was written, because we've been trying to work through our politicians for so long and it still hasn't worked. We have you know, a Republican majority right now in the House, but that still didn't help us with regards to the NDAA. This most recent NDAA, it didn't bring in service members who were kicked out, service members like Brianna Cespedes, most of them got general discharges. This means they don't get their GI Bill. It means that they have marks against, in it, uh, against them if they try to apply for jobs. It'll make it more difficult. Uh, so they, they aren't even raised to the level of honorable. So we were trying to get one, people could come back in immediately if they were kicked out. And then two, 
uh, if they were dismissed with anything other than an honorable discharge, it would be raised. What the most recent NDAA did is absolutely nil, nothing. Even that email, that letter that the Army sent out, that didn't do anything either. It didn't change any kind of um, administrative process. The process to apply to get your um, your discharge status upgraded was already there. To go to recruiter, that option was already there. So we've been trying to hammer and trying to reach out to our politicians for forever. One of the other frustrating things is we do see a lot of politicians speak out against the woke military. And that's a good thing. And that's absolutely a, a, a problem for sure. However, I think for every one transgender person that was kicked out, we might be able to easily say probably very, um, you know, not too ambitiously, like 20 people were probably kicked out for the COVID shot mandate. So it's one thing to highlight this issue. Yes, it is a problem having that, but the bigger readiness issue is kicking out 8,000 plus service members from the military and looking at uh, Dale Saran, who has a few lawsuits against um, Lloyd Austin with different service members. He's also pointed out how it might've been like 70K-ish in the reserve, 70K-ish in the National Guard that were dismissed. So this is just a huge problem. So really just going up to DC, thinking that we were going to get these bare minimal ones in. And we're trying to push for also getting uh, restitution. So people getting back pay. Um, we have guys like Brad where, why should he have to reapply? He was at 19 years and three months kicked out or and left, he left. But why can't they just reinstate him for the amount of time that he uh, was supposed to have so that he can retire now? So the reason we're doing, putting this letter out, continuing to fight is because it still affects a number of different people. People's livelihoods were absolutely destroyed. I mean, I haven't even gotten into Vax injuries. I was just at AmFest, ran into uh, Drew, and he got the shot, and he now has Gain-Barr syndrome, and he's paralyzed. It's insane. I mean, look at posts with him. I got pictures with him. It's absolutely nuts. A perfectly healthy guy, met with Carolina Stancic as well. She got two Moderna shots and for it, has had three heart attacks, a stroke, and many other things. And these are the stories that are out there that are getting suppressed that we've brought to Congress attention. And there are a few folks that are working for us. And I will definitely give kudos to Senator Johnson, to Rep Massey, who, in my opinion, have been fighting for us from day one. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of other ones, you know, may want to help out, but might not think that they have what political buy-in to do it. So at any rate, what we can do is we can support ourselves. We can try to um, try to like raise our voice, continue to speak out, run for office. Those in the service can continue to rise to the ranks and everybody can just do the right thing. But this is kind of an internal movement. And whose fault is it that our country is struggling? I mean, if it's a we the people, for the people, by the people, it's our fault. We've let things get way too far out of control. And some people are just, some people have been involved for a very long time, not necessarily their fault, but there are some people who have been just kind of out of there and have just let it get out of control. So at any rate, that's why we're doing this letter. That's why we need to take control ourselves is because we've tried the political means. A lot of service members have. We've gone up to D.C. and it hasn't quite worked. So with that, I'll pass it back to Brad. Hey, thanks, John. So something, if you're out there and you're asking yourself what you can do, a couple of things that you can do right now, discrete, actionable steps. Take the letter, the Declaration of Military Accountability. So take that, take the document, download it, and send it to your senator's and your congressman and ask what they are doing about it. Ask them the pointed question and make them answer. Another thing that you can do, take the petition. You know, everyone wants to sign something. Take the petition. We have to let DOD and Congress know that there are a lot of us 
and we're pissed off. That doesn't mean we're going to get violent, but they need to know that there are a lot of us and that the gap between the military and the public at large is widening. With that said, Matt, I'm going to pass it over to you. Brad, thanks so much. I really appreciate this. And and I just want to express how absolutely I'm impressed I am. Matt, you there? Yes. Can you hear me? I got you. For me, you're coming in loud and clear. Okay, cool. I'm just going to keep going uh, until then. Um, so I'm just so incredibly impressed by, by the, the speakers that I've heard in here. I, what I would love to, to convey, uh, just for the audience's purposes, I, so I myself am a former intelligence officer with the Navy. I actually just got off active duty orders um, with Central Command about six months ago or so. And uh, instead, I decided to, to get out, and I am now running for Congress in North Carolina's 13th district. Um, and, and the reason why I absolutely jumped at the opportunity uh, when John uh, introduced me to, to this uh, petition was because it, the, the very focus of this comes down to a single word, and that is accountability. That's what got my attention more than anything, was bringing accountability not just to DOD, but to the government at large because of what they did over the COVID vaccine mandates. And, you know, there's certainly no shortage in terms of the work that needs to be done to bring accountability to this. At some points, it's going to feel like we're climbing uh, an unsurmountable hill and that we won't be able to get there. But, you know, that is exactly why we need to do this. You know, it comes back to, you know, what John F. Kennedy said. We choose to go to the moon because it's not because it's easy, but because it's hard and because it's the right thing to do. That's what got me involved in this. And one thing that that really come, came to mind over uh, listening to the various speakers here was uh, something that that I thought of. I'm a big fan, actually, of Dr. Jordan Peterson, um, a former psychologist at the University of Toronto, if you guys are familiar with him. And I consider myself to be a student of his. And one of the things that he talks about when discussing totalitarian states or the fall into authoritarianism is that it doesn't just come from the top. It comes from every level of society where they are the ones that in a certain sense, it is the the um, prisoners running the prison itself. When it comes to here in the DOD, when it, you know, when the when the COVID mandate first came out, it was every single level. It didn't just come from the top. It was coming from our peers of just just protect grandma, just get the vaccine, give into it, just do it. It happened at every single level, and people were going after each other. From what I saw, people were reporting on each other that they hadn't got it yet. It was at every single level, and so that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to get involved in this is because it's going to take people like us who are willing to stand up and get involved against the, the, the crowd that wants to just keep us down. You know, on uh, one of my goals in running for Congress, I want to be on the House Armed Services Committee. I want to hold each and every single, you know, commander responsible and make them answer, put them on the record and make them tell us what exactly they thought and what exactly they were doing when it came to this COVID vaccine mandate. That is exactly why I'm running for this. And, and just a final, you know, shameless plug for me, if you're, you're interested in, in supporting me and helping me get there, my website is votemjs.com. 
would love to have your support. But thank you guys so much for having this. This is exactly what we need to get involved. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much, Matt. Um, Ted, over to you. Hey, I didn't know it was up. Um, so there's some things I can't currently speak about. Uh, Mara perhaps could after. Um, so this, a lot's happened with this whole group over the past two years. Um, and we've, we found what we're good at and what we're strong at. Um, and the combination is, is leading to things like this. And, uh, I just wanted to get across, though, like just a quick point was that the current leadership or elected officials, um, I want to say tactfully, but I'll just, I'll just let it rip. So I've met with <clears throat> Congressman Rutherford face to face. I've met with for over an hour, and, and this is in regard to the what appears to be crushing our military according to the DOD's own statistics, which have been uh, basically verified by the Secretary of Defense's office. So it's, it's extremely important that these people are I wouldn't want to say called out, but at least um, held to account publicly saying, hey, you've received receipt of this, just like Rob was saying about the uh, how we have emails and um, 138s and 1150s and things like that that sent to them. So there's receipt of it. So what I've been trying to do is <clears throat> meet with as many as possible. Um, and give them the actual information that has been passed through Senator Johnson's office in January. Um, and then the SecDef came back, said that information was true in regard to the uh, medical issues. And thank God for Teresa Long, Mark Bashaw, um, Doc Pete, and all these people that that figured this out initially, um, how the injuries, injuries were happening. And then they were quickly dismissed by the DOD saying that it was an error. However, the error has been fixed. It's recognized. And I, I've been on a mission, like, because I, I can see it anecdotally. I have people that come, at, come into my office because they know I'm the only one at the clinic that hasn't received the, the shot. And they, and my story from before, because my, accommodation and things like that but i see it happening it's one of the most frustrating and sad things i've ever seen in my life and no one in positions of power or whatever you want to call it congress wherever are doing anything of any consequence at all and it's just frustrating so congressman rutherford met with him um Matt Gates's office has it. I've spoken with him, with his GC, Matt Kloster. I've spoken with Massey's guy earlier this year. And 
if they're doing something in the background, they're not letting they're not letting us know or me know. So it, it's just frustrating situation when you when you get these roadblocks. Um, and the most recent person I spoke with in person as well was Byron Donalds a couple of weeks ago, and he wasn't aware of the situation. And to him, he was like, "Well, it's 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 not going to be just me who can who can get this done on one guy." However, I let him know I spoke I spoke with multiple Congress people in their offices, and I know all of you guys have reached out to basically every single one. But uh, what he, what Byron Donald said was, if we're going to be able to get anything done about this, I'm, we're going to have to bring it up to the to Speaker Johnson because then it will become an, it'll become a, an issue. I mean, I'm reserving any hope because they haven't given us any reason to um, have faith in them. But uh, I just need to get that out there because this is a major problem. The woke issue, sure, that's that's a problem, but people aren't dying from it or getting medically separated. And I can tell you from just working at the clinic, we had a kid that got out 23 years old pulmonary embolisms. I'm sure Teresa could tell you the horror stories too. And it's it's gut wrenching and it's gotten us to the point where our family is my wife is to the point where she you know we're, we're giving up a lot and with the four kids and everything like that it's it's her running for office is a it's not something that was taken lightly but the decision is easy because it's the right thing to do. However, the path may not be easy, but that's okay. We can we can handle it. And I hope that the people listening take this for for how serious it actually is. Um, and until the DoD proves otherwise that people aren't passing with heart issues and, and other things like that, then I mean. I don't know. You can see I'm passionate and, I'm, and it gets me frustrated. Yeah, thanks, but... Ted. Um, I, I do think, you know, yeah. you brought up a lot of good points that, you know, this declaration of military accountability, it's not just regarding the COVID mandates. It's, you know, it's it's the fact that our oath is to the Constitution and we see so much lawlessness within the Department of Defense, the Department of Homeland Security and our government. And this declaration is really for the American people. It's, you know, all the comments that we've been receiving, it's American people are thanking us for standing up because, you know, they've been waiting for something to happen. Just like you said, like they've reached out to their representatives. They've re reached out, you know, to the various um, agencies, organizations, people who, you know, we look to for representation. Um, and they've realized that, you know, they're kind of voiceless right now. And so that was why a, a huge motivator for us in this Declaration of Military Accountability. And one thing, you know, I, I wanted to kind of uh come back to the question that was like, what does accountability look like? And I want to give the um, stage to Seth. Um, Seth, you can chime in here in a second. Um, for the military, you know, accountability, I don't think a lot of people understand this, but as an officer, when you take your oath um, and you retire, you are still subject to the UCMJ. You know, your oath does not expire when you retire. And this is not something that a lot of people are aware of. It's not something that a lot of people have experienced before. 
Um, but Seth, um, if you're able to chime in and talk about what accountability looks like for officers who are retired and, and why this declaration specifically calls out general officers by name and the SES and people who, you know, may have retired but are still subject to the UCMJ, if you want to talk a little bit about that, I think that would be really important for the American people to understand. It would be really important for people in certain authorities to understand um, that they have court martial convening authority. Um, so, Seth, the floor is yours. Hey, thank you, Jordan. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Oh, hey, excellent. Hey, so again, thanks, Jordan. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. So, hey, everybody, I'm uh, I'm Seth Ritter. I'm a recently retired Army captain. Uh, I've had the blessed opportunity to have direct communication and access to tens of thousands of uh, service members and whistleblowers across all branches through social media. Um, and as a whistleblower myself, I've, I've witnessed firsthand what happened to us all from like the very beginning. Uh, and been on the receiving end of like retaliation from commands and uh, by like you know being detained for telling service members what their rights are, um, you know during the COVID vaccine reprimand brief, and then along with a number of other like actual like written reprimands given to me uh, for those actions and and some others for like through telling the truth, and then almost being medically murdered, um, which actually you know we Commander Green mentioned you know hit the book earlier and he he captures that pretty uh, pretty accu accurately uh, in his book. So I think that uh, speaking on, because you know, there's been a number of questions that have been brought up. Oh, hey, well, what does accountability look like? What can we do? And uh, it's it's difficult to, well, let's put this. I think that one, the sky's kind of the limit, and uh, we're only uh, hindered by our imagination and what the the current law actually states. And I think it's important to understand one, like what the what the oath of office is, and uh, what the power that is that, that that it holds, and then kind of really what UCMJ says and how it dictates um, what can and can't happen for for service members. So um, I think Commander Green does a fantastic job of uh, of weaving the language in that letter surrounding accountability and actions that that will be taken in order to uh, achieve accountability. Right. So there's a number of mechanisms that are available to us to reach that goal. Um, for example. Uh, he specifically mentions recalling retired uh, officers, right, who were offenders who issued those illegal orders and followed through with pressuring service members in their quarter uh, to get the vaccine or they're going to ruin their lives or kick them out, so on and so forth, right? That's absolutely allowed by law and case law. There's two instances where the Supreme Court has touched on this um, specifically. Um, and let me kind of read you the direct language so it's not just, you know, some guy on Twitter talking. Right. So from McCarty v. McCarty in 1981, uh, they stated specifically that uh, let's see here, a retired officer remains subject to the recall of active duty from the Secretary of the Army at any time. Now, retired officer, that means any officer in any one of the different components um, or any of the like retirement categories, uh, even like medically retired individuals. Right. So um, I think that's important to understand and to note that that's the. They, the Supreme Court even recognizes like the legal authority for a officer to be recalled for crimes that they committed while on active duty or that they committed after retiring from active duty. Right. So uh, in it, they state, you know, the the let's see here, the. They concluded that, you know, military retired pay is reduced compensation for reduced current services. Right? And that's kind of a weird that's a weird statement to make. Right. So it's. And for a military officer, their retirement pay that they get 
is a retainer for them being, you know, continuing to perform services in some sort of limited function for the United States military. If you are being paid and you are performing functions in some way, shape, or form for the United States military, you are subject to the UCMJ. Right? And they found they found that there's a number of other cases that uh, allow for that. Um, additionally, so that. And thank God, Cook had dismissed in my last question as well. Um, and it's witness firsthand what happened or like actual like written reprimands given to me uh, for those actions and, and some others for like through telling the truth. And then almost being medically murdered, um, which actually, you know, we Commander Green mentioned, you know, hit the book earlier and he, he captures that pretty, uh, pretty accurate, accurately uh, in his book. So I think that uh, speaking on, you know, there's been a number of questions that have been brought up. Oh, hey, what does accountability look like? What can we do? And uh, it's it's difficult to, well, let's put this. I think that one, the sky's kind of the limit, and uh, we're only uh, hindered by our imagination and what the the current law actually states. And I think it's important to understand one, like what the what the oath of office is, and. Uh, what the power that is that, that that it holds, and then kind of really what UCMJ says and how it dictates um, what can and can't happen for for service members. So um, I think Commander Green does a fantastic job of uh, of weaving the language in that letter surrounding accountability and actions that that will be taken in order to uh, achieve accountability. Right. So there's a number of mechanisms that are available to us to reach that goal. Um, for example. Uh, he specifically mentions recalling retired uh, officers, right, who were offenders who issued those illegal orders and followed through with pressuring service members in their quarter uh, to get the vaccine or they're going to ruin their lives or kick them out, so on and so forth, right? That's absolutely allowed by law and case law. There's two instances where the Supreme Court has touched on this um, specifically. Um, and let me kind of read you the direct language so it's not just, you know, some guy on Twitter talking. Right. So from McCarty v. McCarty in 1981, uh, they stated specifically that, uh, let's see here, a retired officer remains subject to the recall of active duty from the Secretary of the Army at any time. Now, retired officer, that means any officer in any one of the different components um, or any of the like retirement categories, uh, even like medically retired individuals. Right. So um, I think that's important to understand and to note that that's the. That, they, the Supreme Court even recognizes like the legal authority for a officer to be recalled for crimes that they committed while on active duty or that they committed after retiring from active duty. Right. So uh, in it, they state, you know, the the let's see here, the. They concluded that, you know, military retired pay is reduced compensation for reduced current services. Right? And that's kind of a weird that's a weird statement to make. Right. So it's. And for a military officer, their retirement pay that they get is a retainer for them being, you know, continuing to perform services in some sort of limited function for the United States military. If you are being paid and you are performing functions in some way, shape, or form for the United States military, you are subject to the UCMJ. Right? And they found they found that there's a number of other cases that uh, allow for that. Um, additionally, so that that specific case. Uh, 
reinforces the um, <clears throat> a case from about 99 years prior to that, uh, which is uh, the United States v. Tyler um, from from 1882, and and so like that's kind of like the the boring like legalism case like case law stuff. But really, if we just kind of use our imaginations, um, a individual okay yeah and individuals within the the military have the ability to introduce um what's the word have the ability to introduce you know uh cases against retired officers uh for for this and it's it's all backed up by laws i'm gonna kind of give it back over to jordan i don't want to belabor the hey, th seth thanks so much i want to take a moment right now to acknowledge that we have rep, rep uh representative matt gates here and um just to kind of point out that he's been helpful to our group Back in July, when I got out of the military, he helped me get my article published in the Floridian, his office, and that was greatly helpful for myself, for Brianna Cespedes, and helping to get our voice out there. And after the NDAA didn't pass in our favor, he made comments in the House floor about it that a lot of service members, we, we didn't get anything from it, that basically we weren't brought back in, we weren't given back pay, that there wasn't any kind of time given back to us. Um, so, and he's also had multiple of us on the podcast, Jordan's been on his podcast, Jordan Carr, Nick Cupper. Um, so just want to kind of acknowledge him and, and sir, if you want to speak, we can definitely bring you up if you have anything you'd like to add as well. Oh, just a quick thank you to you, John and, and Brad and Brianna, uh, your leadership on this, I hope inspires a lot more policymakers. Uh, good to see my friends, uh, jo my, really my, my boss, Jordan, uh, she's one of my constituents, uh, who, who I think has really been retaliated against and faced the brunt of a lot of these uh, um, these efforts by DOD. And uh, Nick, I, I'm excited to see you running for the legislature in Arizona, man. If you'll send me your uh, donation link, I would love to I would love to financially support you in, in that endeavor. Um, I, I also I just think that we have to attack this thing through all of these vectors. Right. I mean, Many of you see the role I play in trying to ask tough questions and ripen these issues and build coalitions of lawmakers to make more strident demands. And definitely directionally, and I, I know John feels this, like we're getting more progress the more we educate people. But what was so impactful about this letter today is that it really opens up like more of the bottom up and the veteran, you know, outside in uh, review and and fair criticism of of these decisions that have been made that you know the the DOD hopes are unidirectional that they're not subject to any oscillation or change or reversion so that's why I, I work to promote the letter uh, why I think we should get other policymakers uh, to embrace the themes that you've laid out so I don't want to I don't want this to become like a Matt Gates space so. I'll, I'll yield it back to you guys and mostly here to listen and, and uh, become a better congressman by getting your perspective. Thanks, Congressman. We really appreciate you being here tonight. Uh, also, General Flynn is with us. So um, we'll pass it over to General Flynn in case uh, you, sir, have anything you'd like to share with us. So I think that we're still waiting for him to accept the invite to speaker. Um, so until he does, I know that we had, um, Cameron in the queue. So Cameron, do you want to say a few words while we try to get General Flynn up? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me all. Uh, so my name is Cameron Hamilton. Again, it's an honor to be a part of this group. Um, I, I want to remind just got him. Sorry. We actually just got him. Yep. Go for it. Go for it. Okay. 
Uh, sir, do you have anything you would like to add? Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. No, I'm okay, John um, and Brad and, and Jordan, everybody. I mean, just listening to uh, what what uh, Congressman Gates was talking about. And I see, you know, I know that there's some others on here. I mean, to me, uh, you know, <laughs> there's so many issues that are in play. I think the letter's really powerful and it's really well done. I like the fact that it's it's uh, it comes from the, you know, kind of what we call the rank and file. And it just sends a bigger stronger message but i think the you know from my perspective the whole you know the whole threat to our national security is is so uh so dangerous right now and and you know the folks that i'm probably preaching to the choir to the group that's on this spaces but maybe not um just how how uh sort of tenuous our situation is here in the country going forward and and uh and i you know i i really do have an extraordinary respect for everybody that that uh, put their name on on the line here because i know you know that the folks that are in service uh are going to uh they're going to feel they're going to they're going to feel some pain here and this is really where we're going to see you know i think the you know the true leaders rise to the occasion within the armed services whether it's you know our active uh flag ranks or or maybe we do have some some civilians that are that are in positions, critical positions that will respect what it is that they're hearing. But I think for now, uh, I just I'll I'll just keep listening to everybody, and uh, and I'll sort of follow my own, you know, heart on this one. But I really do have uh, just extraordinary extraordinary respect for this letter and what it means, and I know exactly what it means. So. Thanks to everybody who put it together and for all of you that are are uh, are going to you know stand strong and I'm going to stand there with you. So I appreciate it. Thanks, General. We really appreciate those words and we appreciate you being with us and standing shoulder to shoulder next to us this evening. Uh, Cameron, back over to you again, then. Yeah, no worries. <clears throat> good, to be, good to have you here, General Flynn. Again, it's an honor. Um, so my name is Cameron Hamilton, again, part of this great group of patriots. And this is a small subset that we find of the population. In reality, there's a lot more patriots that maybe didn't sign this letter, maybe didn't know exactly how to influence policy, maybe didn't know exactly where to start. Um, and I'm encouraged and reminded of a quote from Teddy Roosevelt, do what you can with what you have, where you are able. And that's a paraphrase of the quote, but essentially it's don't be so discouraged about, well, am I going to be the individual to make a lasting impact? Just start at a basic and granular level. You know, when you read the memoirs of the Benda family from Eastern Romania and what they endured under the hands of communism, and when you read about some of these great trials in different parts of life and in different regions of the world, the courage to not self-censor um, is something that's probably lost on many. And I think right now, even, you know, politically controversial topics or just controversial topics about an ethical or moral nature that you find having at a restaurant or at a coffee shop, people self-censor on a pretty regular basis. I know because I've done it. Uh, and so I think the, the easiest way for us all to feel that we have the power to move forward and to do something lasting and impactful is just to be bold and be courageous where you can. You know, people think about the story of King David and him rising up against Goliath and just what a what a surmountable force that was. But people forget the fact that David had been prepared for years before this battle. Um, again, we don't have to go through all the context of the scripture, but what we find very clearly is David had killed a lion before he ever faced Goliath. So David had time and preparation and 
we find that bravery is best exhibited through, again, brave actions and disciplined actions, which might not seemingly be significant, but then inculcate your behavior and your character and your nature over time. So if we're willing to be bold, if we're willing to simply live not by lies, but to tell the truth, uh, why? Well, it's not for the sake to destroy, but because of our great love and appreciation of humanity and the gratitude that we have from, again, this wonderful life that God has given us. And I don't mean to cause any offense to, to those who have faith or maybe have a different faith than I, but I do think it's abundantly clear that there is so much to be grateful for in this world. So when people look at us, when they look at how do I impact change, how do I improve the lot of my fellow man, that's the perspective that we should have on ultimately how can I let the goodness of God resonate and connect with others and radiate from my life and from what we're trying to do. So I want to remind people that, again, this is a, a policy issue about a particular action, which is reprehensible by the military, but it goes so much more than that. And if we're willing to boldly tell the truth, it doesn't mean don't be tactful. Of course, we should be considerate of others. But those of us who adhere to the Constitution, those of us who believe in a limited form of government, those of us who really espouse more classical liberal philosophy and thought where you had an elevation and freedom and autonomy of the individual over the oppression and tyranny of the state. Um, again, there is great goodness and virtue that this can to display in the world. Um, so that's what we should try to show. That's what we should embody. Um, people should see that goodness radiating from us in our lives. It doesn't mean we're not willing to fight and radiating goodness. And again, wanting to be one who, ultimately uh, brings about the betterment of mankind is is not necessarily making you timid or weak or afraid of a fight. Quite the contrary. It means all the more you know what you're fighting for. So just a reminder for everyone, if you don't know where to start, if you don't know how to start, if you don't know what to do, just live not by lies. Tell the truth. Be honest and sincere in your actions. Um, and that has an impact that's quite categorical and very profound in this world. So uh, thanks for your time, gentlemen. And ladies, uh, I yield back. Thanks, Cameron. With that, we will go to uh, Doc Pete Chambers. And after Doc, we'll go to Mara. Yeah, thank you, Brad. I am just in awe right now of the, uh, the folks that are in here. Um, I'm just getting chills every time somebody else speaks. And it's, it's just amazing to see where we're at now from the very beginning. So just folks that don't know me, I, you know, I'm a soldier. I've always been a soldier since 83 when I finished high school and got out, had a break in service. 9-11 happened, came back in. So I'm a doc working for special forces. Some of the best people in the world. You know, I'm a little biased to the uh, Green Berets versus the SEALs. However, I love my SEAL brothers. Uh, that was for Cam. Uh, so I know what it takes to be tough and I know what it takes to, to, to buckle down I know what right looks like, and I know exactly what wrong looks like. And what I've seen over the year in years is what what you talked about, Brad. What really turned me on to what to following your Substack, which was the uh, moral injury. And we we had to talk about this on the podcast, and, and it really got a lot of a lot of motion. There was you know half a million people listening to that thing. Let me tell you, the the moral injury is, is depicts kind of the injury that's taken place in this country over the last. 50 years, really, um, not being judgmental, but just being truthful. And I can tell you that the things that I learned along the ways at way as a soldier is that, you know, we thought, or I thought as a young guy that, you know, I want to be a green beret. I want to be a green beret. 
what's what's the truest virtue of a warrior? You know, Pressfield talks about this in his book, uh, Gates of Fire. Truest virtue of a soldier. You know, it's not accolades. It's not medals. It's not tabs. It's not, you know, what what job you have. You know, there's a spear. There's a tip of a spear and the, and the rest of it makes the, the tip of the spear function. So everybody has just as important role. And we trust those that are that are that are charged with our care, right? They're charged with completing a mission, but a commander who is responsible for everything that happens or fails to happen, and that's where we're at now, is responsible for all of that. And so when I see it, I know what it looks like. And us beginning in the beginning of this, you know, just the, the original whistleblowers, just because, you know, we had information. I was a task force surgeon down on the border, Texas National Guard. Uh, Operation Lone Star, I had about 3,000 troops in the command that, that I took care of. And to me, what it looked like was, am I listening to an unlawful order? What What's going on here? I have a I have a two-star telling me, hey, you got to stop doing informed consents. You know, you're going to have to recuse yourself if you can't convince them to take it. Our numbers look terrible. And I'm not barely aching and complaining. I'm just telling you the facts. Well, this is something for people out there to understand is that all, all orders, something else I learned along the way, are considered lawful at the outset. However, there are times when you have to stand up. We can talk about Cali. We can talk about Abu Ghraib, you know, Cali in Vietnam, Abu Ghraib in, in a prison in, in Iraq. Soldiers just saying, well, I was just following orders doesn't work. We alluded to the Nuremberg trials. Just doesn't work. Okay, Article 92, failed to, uh, you know, d- to obey a, a direct order. Three kinds of offenses, violations or failures to obey lawful general orders or regulations, failures to obey other lawful orders, and dereliction of duty. So when we look at, when I looked at, and this is just my personal story, when I looked at the fragord that came down from the, the SECDEF, and in, and in the fine print it says, commanders are responsible to administer the appropriately approved vaccine. Well, now it becomes incumbent upon those commanders, of which, Brad, I know you you felt because you courageously did what you thought was right and and did not take part in that in that operation that way and i and i respect that i fully respect that at 19 and a half years but i had to say to the general sir but that's an unlawful order now how did i know well i did my homework i looked at you know army regulation 40-562 chapter 8 paragraphs 4 through 6 if it's an eua must do informed consents and then when he says to me, it's not about the science, Doc, it's about the policy. At this point, I know that I have to take it higher. So I take it higher. As a task force surgeon, I go straight to the TAG because I was able to do that because of the level I was working at. TAG didn't want to hear it. At that point, I took it to some congressmen. And this is why it's so important for all you folks out there running for office. Listen to the people on the ground. They will tell you the truth. You'll still have to do your homework, but they will tell you the truth. Because things get redacted along the way as they go high. So it's just a, a fact, unfortunately, of our military over the last several years, especially. I've seen it. So when when I when I take it finally to Senator Johnson, then it's Teresa Long and Sam Sigloff and Mark Bashaw. And then Teresa and I go to, to uh, Seals versus Lloyd Austin case and we testify. And, and her command calls her the night before and says, you will not testify on these particular uh, questions. Okay, well, at that point, you know, now you're you're coercing or you're you're uh, violating the Whistleblower Protection Act, violating all kinds. Of, and there's no accountability. And this is we go back to the original 
Rob Green's talking about accountability. That's what this is about. The accountability of the regulations that were set before us, the Uniform Code of Military Justice that was set before us. Because in the long run, the truest virtue of a soldier, and I'm almost done here, is love. And that's what Pressfield talks about. It's what I've found. And sometimes it's tough love. I had to, I had to tell, admonish a general the other day, a friend who was a friend, still is, but in a conversation that we had, who's still in a major command right now, and I, I'm going to keep him nameless at this point. But, sir, you know that this is an unlawful mandate. You know that, that they're, you know, EUA uh, does not equal BLA, basic licensure agreement. We go through all that stuff. But it's tough love and the truest virtue. We don't fight out of hate. We fight out of love who's next to us and who's behind us. I love each and every one of you, and I'm proud to be in your ranks. So there you go. Praise God. Uh, definitely a big shout out to my Green Bray brother, Doc Pete Chambers. Thanks so much for those great words. Uh, we're going to bring up Mara next, but before we do, I want to kind of rehash some of the things that, things that we talked about so far. So we're wondering what can we do to get involved right now? We're going to have militaryaccountability.com. That's militaryaccountability.com. That's going to be up soon. In it, we're going to have the petition. You can read the petition above. It's pinned. It's the petition that Jordan Carr, uh, under Jordan Carr's post. You can read that. And if you agree with it, go ahead and sign it on militaryaccountability.com. That website should be up. Uh, probably by tomorrow. Uh, and other things you can do is you can follow all the speakers right now. Um, we're trying to get this word out. And I think that Brad, he had a great, great sub stack where it talked about awareness, accountability, reparations. And we're still in the awareness phase for so many people. A lot of people didn't understand what happened to us. So going ahead and follow those people who are speaking right now. Uh, going ahead and support those candidates who um, they've signed the letter. They're in the group of 231. And uh, just continue to pass out this material. So if you're in this chat right now, go ahead and retweet it. Help us to get more people in the chat right now. And that's going to do us a number of, I wonder, a lot of favors. So go ahead, Mara. I'll pass it over to you right now. Hey, thanks, John. Well said. Uh, I, I don't want to be the downer of the group. However, I think it's important to recognize the fact that this is all political. And if we're not involved politically, we are not going to get anything accomplished. So people are asking, what can I do? How can I be a part of this? If you're not knocking doors, if you're not donating to campaigns, if you're not contributing or volunteering in one way, shape or form, you're not helping the cause. The fact is, is we like to point to our politicians and say, oh, they get up there and they grandstand. They get in front of the public and they say what we want to hear. And then we cheer them on and we go, oh, they're my favorite politician. But do they actually do anything? No. Well, guess what? We, the public, we are grandstanding as well when we decide, oh, I, I don't like what this politician is going to do. We're going to primary you. We're going to donate to your opponent. We're going to volunteer and give all our hours to your opponent. You know what they do? Not that. They sit there and they wait for someone else to do something. They, they, we, as a public, speak a big game, but we don't get involved. And we don't contribute to the grassroots candidates, because let's be honest here, the people who are not grassroots candidates are all the same people. They're all the uniparty. You can tie that money, and we say it all the time, Ted and I, follow the money. Follow the money. Most of the people you see in Congress, they're all tied to pharma, they're all tied to Lockheed Martin, you name it. They're, they're not going to go against these people because they're supported by those people. And then when it comes to grassroots candidates, we're supported by local 
or even I should actually, this is a great point. If it's a congressional seat, it doesn't matter what state you live in. You should donate to a, to a candidate that you find to be someone that you uh, would like to see represent you because that seat is a federal seat. So I'm from a blue state. Ted and I are from Massachusetts originally. I've been a conservative um, since I was 12. So if I wanted to donate to a candidate in Massachusetts, it's not going to get me far. We don't have a lot of red representation here. But what I could do is find a candidate in a state like Florida, for instance, a red state, Texas. You go to a red state, you give your money to those candidates, or you at least spread the word. One thing you can do for free is share tweets, share Facebook, share all the social media, support these people, because we're not getting support from those big special interest groups that are funding my opponent, that are funding Cam's opponent. These people are not going to be taken lightly by us, but are they being taken lightly by you? We need to get out there and we need to fight with everything we have or else we will not change a thing. I promise you that. This is my second time. And what I've seen and what I've done in the past two years is watch these people fund and crush the opponents of the people of their own party. Why? Because they're not, they're not going to do the, the work of the uniparty. We really do have a uniparty. They want you to think that they are doing what you see it all the time. We all applaud someone for saying something great. I know I already said it, but I have to say it again. It's grandstanding. They know nothing is going to be done. So they do it so that you support them, but they're not supporting you. It's not genuine. The people that support you, you need to support them. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we really need to be politically active. Because if we're not politically active, we're not accomplishing anything. Hey, hey, John, this is Matt. Um, first of all, that was great. I, Mara, that was, ter- that was terrific. Um, John, on your comments earlier about militaryaccountability.com, uh, you know, that can serve to be a mass force multiplier for the work a lot of us are doing in Congress. Like, uh, I'll, I'll point out, you know, Jordan Carr, Kyle Serafin. Like they have actually developed information that then we have had the opportunity to use when questioning witnesses or making demands for records. And there's times where that's been successful, like where people have changed policies because we've learned something from people on the ground. And so, you know, to the extent that that can be um, a, a, a repository for, you know, people don't want to become a federal whistleblower, but maybe they've got a photograph of a slideshow that we need to ask somebody about, or maybe they've got a quick video of something that would showcase a violation of law. Um, that's the type of information that we're, we're always looking to get uh, so that we can make things right. Yeah, thanks so much for that comment. We'll definitely uh, look into doing that. And in addition to throwing up the letter, throwing up the um, petition, uh, definitely we'll look into throwing up different evidence and things that you all can use in Congress. Uh, so anything to try to help you guys out to um, just try to get it done. Just a quick anecdote before we get to Lindsay, because she's had her hand up for a while. Um, you know, something that the American people can do 
And, you know, this is how I met Congressman Gates is, you know, I showed up to one of his rallies with a bunch of military members. Okay, this is when I was still active duty. And we showed up to his rally and we held signs and we asked him, you know, to support our cause, because I think that, you know, representatives, they have a lot of issues that they're you know dealing with and they don't have time to sit there and go through every single issue. Um, but what we did was we showed, you know, Congressman Gates, and I think Marjorie Taylor Greene was also at that rally. We showed him that, like, hey, we are desperate for some sort of action. We're desperate, you know, for some sort of help. And he spent 20 minutes with us after his rally. We exchanged information. Um, and, and that's how we've, con you know, continued this relationship um, and continued to, you know, provide him information of what's going on within the Department of Homeland Security, Department of Defense. And so that is something that you the American people can do is get to know your candidates, like Mara said, get to know the grassroots candidates and get to know your representatives and show up to the rallies, support them, support them as individuals, you know, not not this, you know, uniparty. Um, so donate to the individuals, show up, get to know them face to face. That is something that doesn't take a lot of time. All it takes is for, for you to, you know, get involved in your local community and show up. I want to chime in real quick. And just to, to talk about Congressman Gates, and, and we do appreciate, I was at that rally with you, Jordan, um, but I know Ted has been reaching out to Gates' office for the past few months to no avail. So uh, Congressman Gates, if you could get your people to get back to my husband, I'd appreciate that. The Med whistleblower information is huge, and he is being punished at work. So we need to see some movement on that. Yeah, I would. any information we'd love to have. Thank you. Okay, um, Lindsay has had her hand up for a while, so let's have Lindsay, um, you can chime in. I think you have the, the microphone, Lindsay. Thank, thanks, Jordan and John. Nice to meet you. Brad, thank you for hosting this. Um, those who don't know me, my name's Lindsay House. I'm a registered nurse. I was severely injured by the uh, mandated vaccine at work in order to keep my employment. I am confirmed, documented, and diagnosed um, through medical records by three providers. We um, are under attack as a vaccine-injured community. Um, just today, actually, uh, community notes noted my injury. My two-year shot anniversary was December 29th, um, this couple of days ago. And I had made a post about my injury and just kind of let my story be known and posted some of my pictures like I always do. And we've had problems with community notes, noting all the um, people who have opposing views against vaccines or who are trying to bring familiarity with the crimes that are being caused, um, they are attacking their post. Every single community note um, that they do post has reference to an individual named The Raven, and we have identified who he is by his alternate account. Um, he actually blocks all of us who are on the vaccine injured or on our side, in quotes. and. Um, is this is how they've been attacking us. Um, we also have been having our own spaces in our own community because we have been abandoned by the government the past three years. They have not researched us. So therefore, we have taken matters into our own hands and have been doing our own research within our community. We have come across lots of alarming new trends from our scans and follow-ups and labs. And we voice what we've been finding in our spaces. And I just ask and thank you guys for fighting for us, those of you um, who do put up a fight and do defend us, because as a disabled person um, who was fully able-bodied before this bioweapon became available to the public and was deployed upon us, um, 
I had a wonderful life and I was an athlete. I played college sports. I played three sports in high school. I was in perfect health and now my life has been turned upside down. We've had also had lots of suicides within our community, not only from the censorship, because you guys see how censored we are. We get kicked off of Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. Twitter is our only platform that we've had to speak freely. And um, I just hope that you guys can help us, let us band together, vaxxed and unvaxxed, because we truly need you guys. Um, and we would like to survive the rest of our years and figure out how to fix this so our children have a future. Because if we don't fix this now, guys, there will be no future. They're going to be sterile. They're going to be demented at eight years old. So I will be going into the lab next this month, actually. I keep thinking it's December, um, to test for DNA integration. And this is another reason why they're after me, because they know I'm also not only a triple set threat whistleblower because I saw the remdesivir and protocol deaths. I saw the hospital lockdowns and what they enacted on the nurses and staff. And I also am a whistleblower for the vaccine injured. So the attacks are real. The dachshund is real. Um, please protect us. And thank you for all you are doing for our community. I appreciate every single one of you, honestly. Lindsay, thanks so much for that. Um, Jaron, over to you. I know you've been waiting for a while. Hey, Brad, thank you. Um, thank you for the space and God bless you all. Um, I'll just be so a former army officer. I got out in 2015 before all the craziness happened. Uh, I hated the forever wars. So I was in Afghanistan. I realized we weren't doing anything to win and people were just there to make money. So um, that was when I kind of realized it's not for me. So I've been out since then. Um, I have been and I got out as a as a fighting, arrogant, uh, know-it-all person, and I want to give you the benefit of my failures. Um, in, this, in this government, the paradigm shift that needs to happen for veterans is that you are no longer the servant. The thing that made you awesome in the military was that you formed as a team to serve. Now that you are out, you are in charge, and your government serves you. Um, when our founders declared independence, they took the crown off King George's head, they shattered it, and they gave everybody a shard. The more people that come together in spaces like this and communities around the nation, this is where your political power is. Now, let me help explain that. Politicians are scared to death of veterans who speak truth. And I'm not just talking tropes. I'm talking whenever you stand on your state constitutions and you re read the bills of rights in your state constitutions, what was done to every single one of you, the vaccine injuries, the unlawful prejudice, everything, that was a violation of your liberty. And just because you swore an oath to the Constitution does not mean and does not grant anybody in the government the ability or the power to compel you to vaccinate for anything. And I'll just speak straight. There is nothing in the law that can deprive you a timeline for going after these people. There is no such thing as, as uh, congressional immunity for corporations. Corporations are fictitious entities that can only permit and do business so long as they don't violate your rights. So whenever people are violating your private rights, there is no such thing in the, in the law that the government can stop. And my, my uh, encouragement, I'm a Christian. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he responded, it is written. One of the most powerful things you can do as one of the people is demand, demand publicly to their face in writing is what I would do by notice and affidavit 
demand where they get the constitutional power and authority to do what the, to, to do what it is that they're doing. Nobody in government, no entity, no military, no nothing, can compel you to do a vaccine. And there's uh, and if if you go to your state constitutions, this is where the law has been hidden from us. And for those people who want to know, Luke eleven fifty two, Jesus says, "Woe unto you lawyers, for you have hidden the key of knowledge." Most of the knowledge that we have has been twisted and manipulated with words. When you were in the military, you took authority by the order that was coming from above. Now that you are out of the military, you are the authority, we the people. That means something. In our hey, Jaren, government. Hey, hey, Jaron, this is Matt Gates. I want to interrupt you there because by that theory, you would think that the veterans who get into the Congress would be the biggest champions for a lot of the specific proposals that John and Brianna and many others are fighting for. But oftentimes it's like, it's like people like me and Ted Cruz who are fighting at the front of that. And, and often we get so much resistance and pushback and outright opposition from the veterans serving alongside us. Like why, why do you think that is? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. That's why I said at the very beginning to change the paradigm. The, the benefit of the veteran is that we'll serve. We'll give our life. We'll fight like hell. The vulnerability of the veteran is the um, obedience to authority. And so when you get, and I haven't been elected, you know better than me, but the party bosses tell you what's up. I mean, you were prolific in calling out uh, McCarthy and saying that he was a snake. God bless you for that. But the party bosses and the uniparty that, that corral these guys, they dangle them like ornaments. Right. They uh, they use the fact that they don't have legs or the fact that they uh, went around in Afghanistan and they got blown up. They use these guys military career as the shield for their lawlessness. What I'm advocating is a strict obedience to the trust indenture, a very strict obedience to the contract, which is the Constitution. And I'll say this last thing. The Bible says that we must rule our servants in strict subjection. People in government are your servants. You are their boss. And I'll, I'll just say last one last thing. You are no longer the servant to your nation. You can serve your nation by governing the government. And the way that you do that is by asserting your rights. And you do not let anybody, anybody in government tell you anything without demanding where they got that from the Constitution. If we can do that, you know, I, I want to be on board. Uh, and anybody else, any of you guys uh, that sign this thing, if anybody in government comes after you, hit me up. I will write a document for you that, for you that will zing them right between the eyes with the law, and they won't want to touch you. Because when you stand on your rights, none of these people that are under subjection to the law want to touch you. And that's because your rights are secured by the Constitution. That's the entire point of government. And that's what's been hidden uh, from us. Thanks for the space. God bless you, Brad. I yield. All right, we're going to go ahead and give it over to uh, Sam. He said he's wanted to say something, said uh, give give a little pitch. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to you right now, Sam. Yeah, 30 seconds, guys. Hey, the most difficult thing me and my team have had to contend with is educating the public on why this was unlawful, specifically for the DOD. I'm not talking about anything else for anybody else. I'm talking about the Department of Defense. Why was it unlawful for us? Because the Secretary of Defense's memo was technically lawful. I need you to go to my pro profile. I don't care about follows. I have, a, I have a video posted at the very top. It is the, the most comprehensive video you will ever watch, I promise. 
is based on whistleblower information and open source information on why the vaccine mandate in the DOD was unlawful, the execution of it, because everything that was done below the Secretary of Defense was unlawful. Go watch the video, educate yourself, because that is the most difficult thing we try to teach the public on. I'm out. Thanks, Sam. We actually hung it up in the nest so you guys can access it there. Um, Kyle, you've had your hand up. Um, go ahead, Kyle. Thanks, Jordan. And I was following you, and then I wasn't when I looked over, so I'm re-following you. The same thing with uh, Sam. So, folks, if you think you're following folks, might want to keep an eye on that. Uh, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. I really appreciate the accountability. I really appreciate the fact that we are seeing the fights converge, and it was always going to be the case that the civilian service of the federal government was going to step forward first because the legal ramifications on us were always going to be less. That was obvious to me. Um, losing your job is much different than losing uh, your freedom and, and facing UCMJ. So there's a, just a big difference there, and I, I totally understand it. And I knew why you, why things were going slower in the military end of things, and why you folks had to uh, take the steps that you did. So I'm really I'm really excited about the way that that things are progressing. And uh, and I'm and I just want to thank Cam and and uh, Doc Chambers and some of the others that have come up and said some of the really brave things. The most important thing that I keep seeing is the concept that uh, people have internalized the idea of censorship, the self censorship, and everybody's going to assume a certain amount of risk. You assume a lot more if you're going to go forward with yourself while you while you're still under active duty orders. But uh, for those who are veterans and still understand the nature of what it is and people who are in, in active reserves and so on, you know, everybody can only fight with what they've got. They can only they can only take the fight to the level that they are willing to. Uh, not everybody is called to do the same thing and, and be as public or vocal. So for those of you that did uh, sign up, you know, I, I'm really appreciative that you guys have put your name to it. That means a lot when when you decide to put your name in your honor on the line and you expose yourself to all the scrutinies that come along with it, which some people will never appreciate. But uh, I, I wanna just encourage people that are involved, uh, not as veterans and that are not in the military, that are just thinking, hey, I also will not self-center. I will not internalize censorship. I will not internalize what is being asked of me by some real evil. And that's what we're facing. The, the one thing I see that is unanimous among the groups of people that have stepped forward is that they're overwhelmingly Christian, they're overwhelmingly coming from a background of understanding what the oath of office look like and that they know that they have to hold true to it and that it it doesn't serve the government. The oath is meant to serve the Constitution, which is to say the rules that like we're all supposed to play underneath and that the uh, the American people are supposed to expect of us. So I just appreciate all you guys out there. I was parked up here kind of to, to draw a couple folks in and I wanted to hear. I was just going to listen, but that that strikes me and it uh, it continues to just be incredibly articulate and very honorable, special people that keep coming forward over and over again. If nothing else, the last couple of years have kind of shown us one thing, and that is that uh, there was a, a big overplay of the advantage that that was perpetrated on the American people in 2020 and 2021. We saw it even get pushed further in 22, I think. But, but because people saw the goalpost move, because there were so many obvious victims, and the one thing that they were able to keep was that there was a lot of anonymity of the victims. The people who were actually being victimized by the military, by our government, were not in connection with each other. And as we've been able to forge those, we were caught a little flat-footed, like any ambush. But uh, as people have been able to look around and set up the defenses and start coming together, um, this is an unstoppable force that I think will claim this country. I'm still long on America. I think it's going to get spicy and Western for a little bit. So I keep telling people that too. People should definitely uh, tuck in because it's not going to be an easy pushback. We're going against some pretty entrenched forces. But that being said, um, I still think that America wins in the end. And the number of people that are honorable and just want to do the right thing and live in a good country that serves its people and doesn't do whatever we've been seeing kind of creep along for the last probably two decades, it's uh, it's it's the overwhelming majority still. 
And so you know, don't look don't look at your neighbors as enemies, whether they accept you right away or not. A lot of folks will come around to it. You just got to give them a little bit of time. And this is a, a really great step, I think, with the uh, the letter you guys have written and uh, putting your names to it. And uh, just applaud you guys. I'm going to step down to listener and, and open up the spot. So thanks so much. Chris, are you out there? Chris, if you're there, um, the floor is yours. Hey, Brad, you're not talking to me, are you? I am not. Um, you said Chris, and I was like, hmm, maybe. No. <laughs> Brad, he's connecting. He's trying to connect now. Um, one thing I just wanted to reiterate while, um, you know, we have some people before Chris speaks is, you know, some people were asking about accountability in the DOD, and our letter specifically calls for recalling retired generals from uh, retirement to active duty to convene a court-martial. Um, and that's something that I think the American people don't fully understand and a lot of military members don't fully understand. Um, the, the president of the United States has court martial convening authority. The SECDEF has court martial convening authority, as do the service sec secretaries. And so this is something I think the American people and people within, um, you know, th those presidential candidates that are running for president need to understand that as commander in chief, they have court martial convening authority. They can recall these general officers from retirement to active duty to convene a court martial. Um, and that's part of, you know, our motivation to continue with this and to seek accountability. Um, that's part of the reason why so many veterans are running for office, because we're not stopping just because, you know, we took off the uniform. Um, and so that's one way that, you know, we're pursuing accountability is, is trying to educate the American people and trying to, to educate, you know, candidates running for office and um, those who took an oath to the Constitution to understand what that oath actually means. Hey, so we can. Uh, so, Dr. Chris, I know uh, we accidentally called on you earlier. We thought we, you were getting called on, but you've had your hand up for a while. So if you want to chime in, go on ahead. Hey, thanks, John. Um, first of all, I want to give a big, huge shout out to Brad um, and the rest of the team that's been up here that's been working very, very hard. Um, I want to uh, put my comments uh, to the future and basically have a very, very brief discussion about what is at stake. Like a lot of you guys in here, I'm also a veteran. Many of you are veterans. Um, I consider myself an expert on, on warfare. Uh, General Flynn, <laughs> we may um, have differences of opinion about whether it's fifth generation or nonlinear. I'm not worried about it. What I am concerned about is how do we develop foresight? And what that means for me is the ability to identify what's at stake. And what's at stake, in my opinion, is our very national security and defense readiness posture. And there are a lot of factors at play that feed into a defense readiness posture, not the least of which is the health crisis of our children today, who will no longer be enlistment eligible because they are have been so catastrophically injured through all of the different things that we now uh, identify as poor nutrition and 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 um, you know various various um, medical interventions, but I would just like to state for uh, those that aren't aware. Um, our adversaries are very much aware of um, the term that I use, softening of the battlefield. Our adversaries are very much aware that all they have to do in many cases is just step back and watch. Um, and so if we're not particularly focused on not just making sure that we have military accountability, but that we actually continue to articulate that it is the very military that actually typically stands in the breach for our nation's defense, I think we need to start tying these concepts together, and I think we Many of us have done a great job of it. But again, I just want to make sure that we really, really understand that we have a situation where um, the harms that have been done, we have, you know, many, many, 
many recognized harms already. We have data that that indicates that we have continued to have harms uh, done to our service members through medical intervention, specifically through the jabs in particular. But I want to also stress that because of those harms and because our senior leadership had the audacity to actually test excuse me, implement an untested product on our armed forces. I think this is something that we absolutely need to continue to stress and say, not only are we looking for military military accountability, but to our to the American public where we have the opportunity, regardless of our walk in life, regardless of our political affiliation, our religious affiliation, whatever, where we find an opportunity to find our voice, we need to continue to stress that we are concerned about our future. Our future defense readiness, in my opinion, is 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 what is at stake. And Oh, by the way, I think we can realistically state that it is not something that is on a long-term time horizon. This is something that I'm concerned about, particularly I think we're probably looking at maybe just short of 10 years, just less than 10 years. And why do I say that? I say that because, again, the injuries, the medical crisis, the health crisis of our children, specifically when you look at things like the autism epidemic, when you look at all these other things, who is going to be enlistment eligible if everybody is sick? So I just want to put that on the table. Again, kudos to the entire group here um, and all those that are doing everything that they can in their power. And again, if we can just tie military accountability to a concerned future state about our defense readiness posture, I think we need to continue to push that as well, because I do think that that's something that is not necessarily being communicated um, in the complexities um, and the, and the um, interdependencies that, that are factoring into this, this potential crisis of readiness. So that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Um, Matt Gates, if I could ask you a question, sir. Uh, one of the problems that we have is trying to work with members of Congress and trying to get them to uh, kind of help us out or understand kind of the legality issue. Um, are, are you tuned in right now, by the way? You should check first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, so I, I think sort of, it, I was sort going to ask you, John, to describe, like, bring everybody in the room. Like you and Brianna uh, and others have gone like door to door in Congress to talk to people. And I think for the thousands of listeners you have right now, kind of explaining how you bring the depth that we've, we've uh, developed in this conversation into the policymaking realm and then the hearings and the votes. And like, I think your observation of that's far more interesting than mine. Yeah, absolutely. I'll try to bring up what we've all been attempting is that for us, it's pretty obvious that this, this issue is, it's not helpful for readiness. We kicked out 8,000 plus people. We have a number of vaccine injured service members at this time. Um, so the mandate in itself apart from the legality or whatnot, just seems to be nonsensical. But to us, it's very obviously unlawful and illegal. And the main reason it was illegal is that you can't force someone to take an experimental use authorized drug. At the time the mandate came out in August of 2021, there was no FDA approved drug available. We were told that community, or like I like to joke, it's conformity, because that's the only thing it's about, that community was FDA approved. However, it was not made available whatsoever. My service, my soldiers, like my team was the least vaccinated team. And I think all of special forces, and we were all tracking that specific issue that there was no FDA approved drug available. And that SECDEF Lloyd Austin's mandate said, I am ordering the force to get vaccinated with the fully FDA BLA approved drug. Now, when we talked to medics, when we talked to different battalion clinics, there was not this drug available. And 
that means that we can't be forced to take it. So everything before the mandate came out was illegal because it was coercion. Um, but then when we get to the actual mandate itself, it's illegal because there's no FDA approved drug available. Yet we're not able to get even some representatives, some senators to just say, hey, this was an illegal order. And the other problem is that we're not getting any kind of court cases going. So we've had a number of 40 plus um, cases have been filed against the SECDEF, but they're being dismissed as moot because the uh, mandate was rescinded with the 2023 um, uh, NDAA. So they're rescinding that. So we're not able to get any kind of the legal victories to say that it was unlawful or illegal. And to us, it's just kind of a very obvious thing. So I don't know why. I, I mean, it's questions that I've asked to full bird kernels, things like that, that it requires an FDA approved drug to be legal. There was no FDA approved drug, therefore wasn't legal. So I guess just trying to get different congressmen to say that it was illegal or to just fight on that piece, that's that's one issue for us. Um, going door to door, the difficulty is, yeah, we're trying to get the different congressional hearings and we've tried for House Armed Service Committee. We think COVID Select would be another good option as well as weaponization of the federal government, because to me, it does seem like a great uh, weaponization against conservatives. Um, but even if not, we're just looking for one or two brave Congress. Where we find an opportunity to find our voice, we need to continue to stress that we are concerned about our future. Our future defense readiness, in my opinion, is, is, is what is at stake. And Oh, by the way, I think we could realistically state that it is not something that is on a long-term time horizon. This is something that I'm concerned about, particularly I think we're probably looking at maybe just short of 10 years, just less than 10 years. And why do I say that? I say that because, again, the injuries, the medical crisis, the health crisis of our children, specifically when you look at things like the autism epidemic, when you look at all these other things, who is going to be enlistment eligible if everybody is sick? So I just want to put that on the table. Again, kudos to the entire group here um, and all those that are doing everything that they can in their power. And again, if we can just tie military accountability to a concerned future state about our defense readiness posture, I think we need to continue to push that as well, because I do think that that's something that is not necessarily being communicated um, in the complexities um, and the, and the um, interdependencies that, that are factoring into this, this potential crisis of readiness. So that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Um, Matt Gates, if I could ask you a question, sir. Uh, one of the problems that we have is trying to work with members of Congress and trying to get them to uh, kind of help us out or understand kind of the legality issue. Um, are, are you tuned in right now, by the way? You should check first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, so I, I think sort of, it, I was going to ask you, John, to describe, like, bring everybody in the room. Like, you and Brianna uh, and others have gone, like, door to door in Congress to talk to people. And I think for the thousands of listeners you have right now, kind of explaining how you bring the depth that we've, we've uh, developed in this conversation into the policymaking realm and then the hearings and the votes. And like, I think your observation of that's far more interesting than mine. Yeah, absolutely. I'll try to bring up what we've all been attempting is that for us, it's pretty obvious that this, this issue is, it's not helpful for readiness. We kicked out 8,000 plus people. We have a number of vaccine injured service members at this time. Um, so the mandate in itself apart from the legality or whatnot, just seems to be nonsensical. But 
to us, it's very obviously unlawful and illegal. And the main reason it was illegal is that you can't force someone to take an experimental use authorized drug. At the time the mandate came out in August of 2021, there was no FDA approved drug available. We were told that community, or like I like to joke, it's conformity, because that's the only thing it's about, that community was FDA approved. However, it was not made available whatsoever. My service, my soldiers, like my team was the least vaccinated team. And I think all of special forces, and we were all tracking that specific issue that there was no FDA approved drug available. And that SecDef Lloyd Austin's mandate said, I am ordering the force to get vaccinated with the fully FDA BLA approved drug. Now, when we talked to medics, when we talked to different battalion clinics, there was not this drug available. And that means that we can't be forced to take it. So everything before the mandate came out was illegal because it was coercion. Um, but then when we get to the actual mandate itself, it's illegal because there's no FDA approved drug available. Yet we're not able to get even some representatives, some senators to just say, hey, this was an illegal order. And the other problem is that we're not getting any kind of court cases going. So we've had a number of 40 plus um, cases have been filed against the SECDEF, but they're being dismissed as moot because the uh, mandate was rescinded with the 2023 um, uh, NDAA. So they're rescinding that. So we're not able to get any kind of the legal victories to say that it was unlawful or illegal. And to us, it's just kind of a very obvious thing. So I don't know why. I, I mean, it's questions that I've asked to full bird kernels, things like that, that it requires an FDA approved drug to be illegal. There was no FDA approved drug, therefore wasn't legal. So I guess just trying to get different congressmen to say that it was illegal or to just fight on that piece, that's that's one issue for us. Um, going door to door, the difficulty is, yeah, we're trying to get the different congressional hearings. And we've tried for House Armed Service Committee. We think COVID Select would be another good option, as well as weaponization of the federal government, because to me, it does seem like a great uh, weaponization against conservatives. Um, but even if not, we're just looking for one or two brave congressmen to just have a regional hearing, just like the regional hearing where I saw you at the ATF hearing um, to abolish the ATF. That got some news coverage that was able to expose and help bring awareness. So something of that nature, that's one avenue. We're also trying for the NDAAs. And I thought it was just absolutely insane that these most basic NDAAs that should be totally obvious that bringing service members back in when we're hurting for recruiting, that we also should just automatically raise people's discharge statuses from general to honorable um, because people like Brianna in this chat, she can't go to college now. She doesn't have her GI bill. Um, it's a, reflects a mark against her. So I guess the question that's kind of been our experience is going in, talking to people. There's different levels of how much they understand about the legality, depending on how, how far they've dug in. A lot of them don't really want to touch it. So we have to do kind of uh, less, controversial things such as readiness or how service members were treated went to us. The military broke the law through the FDA UA distinction. They didn't follow their own medical policy. Their own medical policy states that if you've already been, if you've already had the disease, if you can test for the antibodies, then you can get a medical exemption. It's crazy that we just didn't have that. And that our religious, our religious rights or religious freedoms, they were just totally thrown to the wind. Um, that first amendment that we fight and die for was not afforded to us uh, with the Religious Freedom Restoration Act or anything. So that's that's kind of been my experience. But I guess the question I was just kind of throwing back, why do you think we're running into some of those, those issues? Well, I think that there is, there is a series of cover-ups that we're in the middle of. Uh, Big Pharma principally wants to cover up the vaccine injuries. 
And so they lobby heavily against any hearings around that. Now, you know, you and Brianna were, were there and attended the hearing that Marjorie Taylor Greene and Senator Ron Johnson uh, and I had around these vaccine injuries. And, and certainly you're right. We, we need to have more and probably we need to sp focus specifically on the military in doing so. I think that's an excellent suggestion. Um, so, but you are sort of off the list to get money from big pharma if you start speaking up and talking about uh, this profile of issues. And that alone is a sufficient deterrent, not for some people in Congress, but in fact, for most, most of Congress. Then beyond that, you have the cover up of Secretary Austin exceeding the envelope of his authority under existing laws to order this vaccine. And so to cover that up, you've got a whole lot of, you know, kind of the, the broad, um, you know, DOD legislative affairs, you know, committee staffer apparatus, uh, you know, there to not expose that illegal action because that is uncomfortable for that, that kind of intellectual and legislative infrastructure to deal with. Uh, and there are, of course, good people within those systems, but the systems broadly exist to protect the stakeholders of those systems. And that's why what you hear people talking about on this call, it, 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 those tools, those tactics will make you a more significant stakeholder. If you start showing up, Jordan had a great example of how we met, but there are a number of congressmen who are more educated because they're willing to look you in the eye and give you the benefit of the doubt often when you've worn the uniform. Now, you know, I think John would also have to concede that a lot of times, you know, you're, you're banging on doors and you're ending up in uh, conversations that just don't move the needle with people because those corrupt influences will always matter more than an honest, bare presentation of the facts. And that's when you have to go to the, like the next vector of the assault is you have to, you have to go, you have to back better candidates. And at times we need better people in some of these congressional seats with you know, tons of veterans in those districts, tons who, who are um, just disgraced by what they see in, in a lot of the senior leadership right now in DOD. And so uh, I think that's the, that's the approach you got to have. Yeah, absolutely. I think we are in that position right now where we are trying to find those other alternative paths because the most obvious one, which is working with your uh, congressman, you know, not necessarily the case for me, you're helping out greatly, um, but for others, it's just not happening. So what we're looking to do is to try to get those regional hearings. We see that as a lower hanging but, fruit. But help that we might yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. But John, help answer the question that I asked Jaron, and I think you and I have probably talked about this offline before, but like you would think that the people who have recently served in the military would be the most strident advocates for the 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 things you are seeking. And certainly there are some who are like Ronnie Jackson out of Texas is one of the one of the terrific outstanding leaders in, in all of this on our side. But what what is it that is causing you know so many of the of your fellow veterans right to to not see things the same way? Matt, hey Matt, this is, and 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 John, this is General Flint. I, I'm going to jump in because Matt mentioned this earlier, and it's a great question. And you know, and and uh, so I, don't, I forget which which of the speakers earlier said follow the money. Okay, so 
because this is this is you know those it's a big question those serving members of congress the house or the senate lindsey graham is one and let's not kid ourselves here and there's a and there's a whole bunch of others that are that are veterans that say nothing and and none of them as far as i can tell from what i can see none of them are on this call tonight and this is a big deal this is not a this is not a small thing that 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 this letter represents and and uh, you know and i i give a lot of you know, <laughs> the people that signed this thing is good for you, but I guarantee there's like a hundred times that many people that feel the same way uh, as I do, as I do sitting here tonight listening. And and uh, so follow the money is number one. You go and Matt, you know this. And, and I think Marjorie Taylor Greene was on earlier if she's not still on. But, you know, you go into Congress, you go into that, you go into the, into the Capitol and somebody whispers in your ear hey, if you just vote this way, or if you do this, we're going to take really good care of you. And that's where our problems begin. Okay, number one. Number two, we we do have to back some of these uh, new people that are running, these veterans. I, mean, I, I forget the number. We're somewhere between 18 to like 21 million veterans in this country that can vote. And so we got to get behind these people, whether you live in whoever it was that said it was smart. You know, whether you live in Massachusetts or, you know, you find somebody in Florida, you find somebody in in Nebraska that's running in a in a congressional district or a, or a Senate seat, you know, that that uh, is a veteran. You know, get behind them. Go find that person if, if you can't find them in your own home district. And 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 then we got to hold those people to task. I mean, there's a, there's veterans in uh, Congress now that are just they're worthless. They're worthless. And I, and I just mentioned one five seconds ago. So, I mean, totally worthless. You know, the other thing is, is that we also have to recognize that this is a much, much bigger problem. And again, you know, it's 2023, we were between 14 and 15,000 short in army recruiting. That downstream effect for that is devastating. It's not, it's not, you know, a critical or vital, it's devastating to our ability to be able to, to fight and win our nation's wars or be, to even be prepared to do that. So the, the, the issues that are in play that are that are highlighted, that this letter highlights, you know, when you a guy like me, I look at these things and I take them to a different level. I take them to another, you know, maybe the 60,000 foot level, 100,000 foot level. But I can understand the, the, the brass tax level, too. But the, the these people that are in charge right now, they don't care. That, that's that's why they did what they did. They don't care. This is this is their plan. This is their agenda to basically destroy everything that is good. And uh, and so, yeah, people, you know, we do need to pray and we do need to to get, you know, get our communities involved and all that kind of stuff like I, I've always been a big advocate for. But we also have to, I mean, we have to speak out. And this this is a start. And I do think that Matt and uh, uh, Matt Gates, uh, Congressman Gates and uh, Senator Johnson and a couple others have been good about highlighting these but I've spoken to Senator Johnson Senator, and Senator Johnson feels, you know, and, and I and, it, and it's kind of like Matt, too. And I, and I apologize for calling you Matt, but it's but it's a whole idea about we're almost impotent against the just the piss poor leadership that we have. Frankly, the corporate woke military leadership, never mind the civilian leadership that we have. And they're and they're just they're pathetic. Do you think that Lloyd Austin cares? You know, he's going to what he's going to do. Somebody's going to somebody's going to feed him some line of bullshit. Excuse my Irish about this letter and say how we've got to you know, we've got to you know, the people that are on active duty, we got to we got to figure out a way to shut them up. 
these people are they are after one thing and that's control of this damn country and if we don't if we don't take this year and really raise our voices and this is why this is maybe a start for for those of you that are that are uh that are on the line here and also also in this spaces and then and we'll we'll have to continue to to have these conversations we're lucky to be able to even have this ability i mean the censorship i'm I'm no longer on Facebook, as an example, and that that happened just recently. So, you know, th this is the censorship, the 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 uh, lack of care. Okay, this is not, you know, and 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 I'll shut up here and get off my soapbox. But this is not about, you know, recruiting problems and and obesity problems and COVID problems. This is about trust. And in a military unit, uh, the one thing that is paramount is trust at the team level or you know, at a, at a much, much higher level. It's trust, trust in leadership, trust in each other, and then the idea of love. But trust is paramount. And right now, because I'm sitting here as a guy who, served, you know, who served at some pretty damn high levels, and I've lost trust. I've lost trust and confidence in the leadership that we have running our military, never mind who's running the White House. But I, but the people that are in this country, the mothers and fathers, the the young people who you know, who would like, who would otherwise like to serve our, our, our nation in uniform, they don't trust the leaders that we have. And this, this, this madness that we went through with COVID, and, and I've, I'm so upset because just listening to some of these people, that particularly the, the young lady who was vaccine injured, I mean, that's just so sickens me and it just upsets me. And we have to fix this. We have to fix this. But, the, you know, the, the big issue is trust. And right now, the American people don't have trust in many of the institutions of government. And frankly, as a veteran and as a and as a senior guy that's served in different parts of our of our military and our government, I don't have any trust in the institutions that we have. And I certainly don't feel like our military. I mean, most of you probably don't know, but our our U.S. armed forces serving in the Middle East have been attacked 110 times since October 7th, 110 times with almost zero retaliation. I mean, when does that shit stop? I mean, I, so there, we have got to realize that this issue, and this is a very, very important issue because we can use this as leverage to drive this other, these other messages that we have forward. And, uh, and as everybody I think has, has stated, you know, very smartly, you know, We've got to get ourselves involved and we've got to get more people to run for office. And I'll get behind them. Just let me know who. But but the, but the veterans that we have that are serving, Matt Gates asked and said something very smart a while back. That's why I wanted to jump back on. He said, why are why is he and Senator Cruz the only ones speaking up? Where are these damn veterans? And I know he mentioned Ronnie Jackson, but I don't see him jumping on anybody's desk. And I don't see Lindsey Graham jumping up and down on on his desk or his dais, wherever, whatever the hell, you know, give me a break. I mean, these people don't do it because there's either somebody whispering in their ear or there's somebody sticking their hand in their pocket. That's why. And I'll stop and uh, turn it back over to you guys. Sorry, I went on a rant. Yeah, General Flynn and um, Congressman Gates, you both make really great points. And, you know, part of our letter of the Declaration of Military Accountability um, we call out the SES, so the Senior Executive Service, and a lot of people don't know this, and Laura Logan does a really good job of explaining this, but a lot of these retired generals or retired senior officers, what they do is they, you know, they line up jobs for themselves within the military industrial complex, within the SES, 
And these people can control every aspect of the Department of Defense of the military industrial complex. And so you're, you're asking, you know, why aren't more veterans speaking out? Well, it goes back to following the money. You know, big pharma is paying them. Um, DOD, you know, defense contractors are paying them. And even within the military, and I think this is where a lot of the frustration for us, you know, the signers of this declaration comes from is within the military, there is such a fracture where you have the people who are supposed to be your brothers and sisters in arms that are supposed to protect you in times of war are turning against you, filing IG complaints against you for having, you know, a certain ideology, a constitutional, you know, ideology, you know, where your your whole purpose of serving is grounded in, in the Constitution and in our founding. And so we are infected, our military is being infected with people who don't understand their oath. And those same people are running for office and they're being funded by the Uniparty. They're being funded by, you know, the DNC, the GOP. And as Mara explained earlier, you know, the grassroots veterans who are running, they don't have this you know, this donor class that's funding them. And so, you know, to answer your question, Congressman Gates, it's, it's multifaceted, but the same people who, you know, the same veterans who are in office and not speaking up, they're the same ones who are in the military and not speaking up. They're the same ones who, you know, were passing down unlawful orders. And that's part of the reason why we're standing up and we're saying enough is enough. I mean, the vaccine injured, there are so many vaccine injured members, and a lot of them are in this chat right now, and a lot of them didn't know or, you know, they were part of the same officer class passing down these orders who didn't know. And we're fighting for them, too. You know, we're not discriminating against, you know, oh, you passed down these unlawful orders. And so now we're just going to forget about you. No, like we understand that the moral injury is impacting even those who, who were participants in passing down these unlawful orders. Who, who didn't understand their oath. And I get, you know, I get comments from enlisted members all the time that say, oh, well, well our job is, is to just follow orders. Because even the enlisted members and a lot of officers too don't understand that their oath is to, to follow lawful orders, not any order, and their oath is to the constitution. And they have an obligation to not obey unlawful orders. Um, so I'll get off my soapbox and hand it back to Brad, um, who's the host, and, and we can call on some other people who have had their hands up for a while. Yeah, Jordan, if I could okay, say yeah. one thing real quick, Brad, one moment, just so that we're aware, it's not only conservatives that are getting in this fight, too. If you think the political left is not doing the same thing, you're mistaken. For example, in my race in Virginia, a gentleman who was a military officer who was prosecuting individuals who did not adhere to the vaccine mandates, they're propping him up as a Democratic candidate for Congress. So if you think that it's only grassroots, if you think it's only constitutional conservatives that are running, you're mistaken. So we need to inculcate government in every aspect to bring back a better form of governance. Okay, and John, I think you had something you wanted to add real quick, and then we'll keep moving on to the other speakers. Yeah, uh, Rep Gates, just want to answer your question. It's very similar to what Jordan said. I think that with the officer corps, with the way that evaluations go, ducks pick ducks, yes men pick yes men. And it's very much kind of like politics where it's, it's a system where you, you do the things to get ahead, not necessarily because they're the right things, but they're the things that get you ahead. And I think that with the obstacle core, especially that has gone to college, that's getting more indoctrinated, um, the, the more special operations of a unit you go to, kind of the better things are. But it's usually better on the NCO side of it. So I think it's just kind of yes men continuing to be yes men. Um, guys looking at, oh, should I follow this order or not? And thinking about how it would affect their career. After I was counseled the first time, this major said, John, I didn't want to get it either. But the way I saw it is that if I didn't get it, I would have been rated 40 out of 40 officers by my senior rater. And that's unfortunately the kind of attitude that we have going on. So 
Um, I'm going to pass it off to Jeanette. I've talked enough already on this thing, so go ahead, Jeanette. Hi. Sorry my voice is a little low. I'm sick. Um, but hello. If, for those who don't, know, who don't know me, my name is Jeanette. Um, I am a combat veteran in our Army. Um, I was part of a female engagement team. I was one of the first females selected to go to Ranger School. And I was also a federal police officer when I got out of the military. And I'm, I was raising my hand because this is, this is such a great space. So many people have said amazing things. And I was a DOD officer, police officer, during 2020. And when they came out with the mandates as a civilian, <laughs> when my chief told me, I started laughing. I was like, I'm not going to get the shot. And he's like, yeah, you are. And I was like, no, I'm not. And things happened um, throughout those two months. Um, and I said, you know what? I'm going to quit. And I left my job because I wasn't going to do that. And it's unfortunate that, like, my peers, some of them got fired. Um, the airmen that I worked with, um, some of them, you know, they took it just because they were following orders. And Jordan, what Jordan just said right now is exactly what my chief said. He goes, well, we have to do it. Like, it came down. Like, you don't have a choice. And I was like, well, that's bullshit. Like, why would I put something in my body that, you know, <clears throat> isn't, we don't even know what it's going to do to us. And for you guys to do what you just did with this letter, it's just like this morning I cried reading it because people are not standing up for those who lost so much. And I see the effects of it as like with my friends that are still in the military. My, my, um, one of my best friends just be, uh, took command of her, uh, of her unit. And she's having to deal with all of these people that are, that are injured or like she doesn't know how to stand up for them because she's afraid of, of what will happen to her. And I try to give her guidance. I send her like as much stuff as I can. And I tell her, you know what, just get out. Like, what are you still doing in there? It's so sad that like, that's what the advice I have for her because there's not much that we could do, unfortunately. But what you guys are doing is amazing. And whatever you guys need for us to do, specifically me, Jordan, I'll e email you and I will do whatever I can to get in this fight with you guys. And then Nick is a candidate here in Arizona. You are like three minutes away from where I live. So um, I recommend if you are a candidate, have your website available on your, on your Twitter, um, wherever you want us to donate money, however you want us to help you, put it somewhere on your social media because you have nothing on there at the moment, Nick. I can't even message you. Um, but Mara, what Mara said about helping candidates, I ran for um, state legislator here in Arizona uh, this last year. And it is so true. People do not help the grassroots. People talk a lot of shit about helping the grassroots and they don't. They don't even give $2, $3, $5. If you can't do that, you know, the social media thing, how Mara was saying is so important because that's the only way we could get our names out there if we are running. I'm not running this time because I think I'm a better advocate for candidates so if you, you know, if you need somebody to help you, I'm definitely here to help you. I don't charge people. I just really am in the fight. I help Carrie Lake and her investigation team. Um, I'm, you know, we're fighting against Ruben Gallego, who's a shitty veteran who doesn't speak up for us. And, you know, Matt Gates and General Flynn just said this. I mean, Congressman Gates, you know, the veterans that we do have in office, not all of them are good. Just because we're veterans don't mean we're all great, but there are amazing veterans who are fighting for us, and they're all here on the stage. Um, so thank you so much for letting me. You speak got a good to... one in Eli Crane, Arizona. Oh yes, Arizona I love. Did your part? You sent a. You I said, like, Eli Crane is the Clint Eastwood of Congress. 
<laughs> yes, Eli Crane's amazing. I do support Eli. <laughs> but thank you so much for letting me speak. And I, I really hope to see this go really far, you guys. Okay, we're going to bring on Dr. Jane next. Uh, but before the, you do, since you kind of set us up so well of what can people do, um, you can follow the folks that are here that are speaking right now. Um, you can look at the people who are listed and support those candidates who sign their names this letter, uh, making that kind of statement, affirming that they're going to do something. And you can help us to continue to pass accountability. And we're going to have the website militaryaccountability.com. That's going to be up uh, probably tomorrow, but within the next week. And that's going to allow us to have petitions. We might put on information that Congress can use uh, to kind of push this issue forward. So with that, I'll pass it over to Dr. Jane Ruby, who was one of my first interviews. So it's great to see you on here. Thank you, Brad. And um, I'm really, um, good evening, everyone. I'm really excited about the letter because I think it's an important first step by we the people. Um, for those who don't know me, I'm a 20-year pharma veteran. I'm a medical professional. And I called this thing in March of 2020 for what it was. I just want to make a couple of comments that I think might be helpful. I'm known for being a straight shooter and for shocking people into reality. When I got into this fight in 2020, I said I'm doing it for the military and the babies. Now, that may sound like two very strange, different groups together, but there was a reason for it. Babies, of course, are our future, and I knew they'd be poisoned forever. Our military is our national security and what helps us secure this incredible nation. And I knew, I knew this poison was going to damage the readiness of our country. And I knew that you all, I knew your plight, Brad and John, and many more like you, before you knew it, before you even knew it was gonna, anything was coming at you. And same thing for our commercial pilots. I thought, no, no, you're gonna bring, it, you're gonna bring down airliners. Pilots are gonna get incapacitated. They're gonna have heart attacks and strokes in midair. And they have been, many of them. Most of them you don't hear about. Um, I wanna say one thing, and I know I'm going to offend the congressional people in here, Congressman Gates, and anybody else who's an elected official but I'm gonna tell you the way it is. Congress is not coming to help us. Congress says a lot and poses a lot, but doesn't do anything. And you wanna know what my proof is? My proof is that for the last three years, you all have sat there while our Southern border was wide open and flooded in. Don't tell me what you talked about or the selfies or the parties any of you attended down here in Palm Beach. Nothing has been done. Hearing upon hearing upon hearing. And it's critical for people to understand. Step out of the way, congressional members. They're not coming to help you. And I'll tell you why. They actually got you into this. Congressmen are all going to disagree with me. But it is my belief that if they could have or would have done something, I think they can do a lot. I think they could have hauled companies into court. I think they could have shut down these companies, seized their assets, whatever. I'm not a congressman and I'm not a senator, but I'm gonna tell you I'm sick and tired of watching all con Congress say everything we wanna hear and absolutely do nothing. Now, I worked for seven or eight days and nights in a row in September of 2021 with Todd Callender, with other attorneys like Dale Sarin and David Wilson, who's a former JAG, and that's how I got into this thing with the military. My sworn affidavit is on file in Seals versus Austin. Unfortunately, that case did not go anywhere. Robert V. Austin is on its way to the Supreme Court, and my affidavit is there, and it educates the court to the fact that 
regardless of what the legalities were and who was approved and who wasn't and what EUA, these I, I laid out in detail what what why the every EUA, every subsequent approval, everything about these shots was it was based on the FDA violating their own regs. And I'll tell you why they did it. We basically don't have a government. We have foreign and domestic enemies running our government. They actually have offices in the West Wing and the EEOB. And it's critical for people to understand, we're not gonna, we cannot keep begging people in Congress for crumbs. It's way too late. What you did, what you're, all of you did, Brad, this group in this letter, this is huge. It's a major step. And I think it's gonna inspire the American people because they're sick and tired of listening to Congress people and, and, and politicians just talk and talk and do nothing. We're done. We're done. And I, I won't remake the point um, that I believe Jordan uh, confirmed and, and, and the other vet, uh, it, was, it was actually affirming General Flynn's point. You know, these vets get into office, they're not doing anything, they're silent. That proves my point. Congress is not coming. Stop sucking up to these people. They, they all have hearings. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene actually had a hearing on COVID injuries while at the same time holding stock in Gilead that makes remdesivir. And, and CRISPR Technologies AG, which, which, which develops CRISPR-Cas9 technology. Do you know what that does? That's the technology that allows this poison to get into your cells and your nuclei, clip out your natural God-given DNA and replace it with an in silico uh, lab-created piece. So while she's having a hearing to look at COVID injuries, she's holding stock in two companies that are killing Americans every day, every day. That's, the attempt, that's the, what I want the American people to know. Not so that they'll do anything rash or illegal or unlawful or violent, but so they'll turn their energies and their efforts into areas that, where something can be done where it can be done. Citizen grand juries, citizen panels. I see my friend Ann Vandersteel here, who's leading tactical civics and other such types of, of efforts. We've, we've gone to assembly meetings together. It has got to come from the ground up. It has got to come. I'm sick and tired of, I, it breaks my heart to watch some of you tonight beg Congress people for a crumb when they've had three years to do something. Our border is wide open. We are, it will take generations to clean this country, if possible at all, from the crime and the disease that hundreds of thousands of people are bringing into our country with this border wide open. It was Texas's problem yesterday. It's our problem today. Dr. Jane, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think everyone in this space, including the representatives, share your frustration. Um, and I do, um, you, you brought up a good point about Robert V. Austin. Um, so for those of you not aware, it is waiting for the Supreme Court decision. I think they have until January 4th to make They're on the docket. They're on, yeah. We're on the docket for it. And I'm proud to be part of it. And I don't want to hear that a congressman is sharing my frustration. I'm not a U.S. senator. I'm not a U.S. congressman. But you can damn be sure if I was, I, I, would, I, would, not, I would do more than just talk about it. Uh, with all due respect, Congressman, I haven't heard you really answer one question tonight. But I have oh, heard you sort of well, make on, people on, feel better on. about the issue. Well, I, I don't know if people feel better or worse. Uh, I'm here because my constituents asked me to be here. But I, uh, ask your question. I'll answer any question you have. I don't recall uh, getting any, any questions. But if you have one, I'll answer it. 
Okay, I, I heard some questions from John. And... I, okay. I, do, I do just want to point out, you know, um, I've had conversations with Cong Congressman Gates before. He knows that I'm not 100% with him on every single issue, but I have to commend him for being in this space because I think the frustration is that there are a lot of representatives who are not willing to, to join their constituents um, in, you know, hearing our frustrations and hearing why we're pissed off at them. Um, and that's part of why we, the people, Mara talked about this earlier. It's not, you know, our representatives aren't doing enough. We aren't doing enough. It's, it's a collective okay, issue. Jordan, I don't, I, with all due respect, I don't know you, but I don't need you to mitigate what I just laid out. Uh, people can take it or leave it. They can take it for what it is. They can hate me. Well, here's, here's, here's where I'll offer some pushback. Uh, I think that accepting the doctrine that no change can come through Congress into being as black pilled as, as your argument would would suggest allows people to be less accountable. Right. The, the whole purpose of this exercise, the organizing principle is to enhance accountability. And if you just say, well, Congress is an entirely broken institution. And again, I not only share in that frustration, I offer that critique more frequently and I would suggest more effectively than anyone else in the Congress other than maybe Rand Paul. You know, but but if we are to abandon that battle space and just say, oh, no, you know what, you know, go ahead and sell out to big pharma, go ahead and sell out to the military industrial complex and we won't even be watching and paying attention. Then it, I believe that all of the other work you will do will be greatly diminished by the harm that Congress will continue to do. So you, you can be critical of the institution. I am. You can be critical of me. I'm here to accept those critiques and, and respond to them. When I see action instead of words, I'll start to respect. Well, yeah, I'm not asking for your respect, but here, here's action that people on, the, on this call have observed, right? Like we, we were assembling coalitions to oppose the NDAA, while, uh, while others, while many others, while including many of the veterans I served with, were voting for an NDAA that served to whitewash the illegal acts and illegal orders of the senior leaders in our military, there were people like Mike Lee of Utah and Rand Paul of Kentucky and myself who were who were laying out the case. And yes, we lost on the battlefield. And right now, frankly, as Eli Crane often says, we don't have the right people to win. Like We may have a Republican majority in the House of Representatives, but newsflash, we don't have a majority of people willing to actually fight to obtain critical victories. You and missed no. my point, Congressman. You missed my point. This group okay. agreed that it's a uniparty, and then they started asking you for help. If so you believe it's a uniparty, then why are you asking Congressman Gates for help? Because we have opposition to the uniparty in Congress. And if there is anything to build upon, it is to build upon the power levers we do have to fight the uniparty. Well, yeah, I've heard suggest? that for three years. Okay. Well, well right. We're, we're, well, here's, here's what I would suggest. While we have suffered some losses, I actually think that the Uniparty is considerably weaker today than they were, you know, two or three years ago. Uh, because I, you know, and you see that, by the way, in a lot of the polling data and the issue sets that are rising to the top, many of which you correctly highlighted. Right now, you know, are they still in control? Yeah, the establishment is established for a reason. They're good at it. But I, I think that the better approach than just throwing our hands up in the air and saying any coalition with any allies you have in the Senate or the House is fruitless. Rather than doing that, 
Let's enhance the coalitions, build the better arguments, build the better teams. We're going to lose some probably before we win some. But but to me, that is a preferable battle plan. So we're going to continue to move on. We've had some guys with uh, hands up. We've had Nate on. Um, we've had Charles up. But I think the question that um, – well, Dr. Ruby was saying that you didn't answer questions. The one question I had, which maybe she was worried about, was why is it so hard to get congressmen to say that the – it's so hard to say this was an illegal order? Um, oh, no, that's a great question. I, I think the, the answer to that question is a lack of knowledge among most members of Congress regarding the extent to which Lloyd Austin went outside of his legal envelope of activity. I think Congressman, is, with all due respect, if we, if we knew that on the outside, there's no way con congressional people didn't know that. Oh, you, would, you, you, you have far too high an opinion of my coworkers. You're right. You're right, I, sir. No, I would, I would agree. I mean, just having talked to different staffers and things like that, it's pretty wild what they don't know. And they really should know better, but I'm having to reiterate it to different staffers at every place and, like, just spell it out just Barney style. It's extremely sad, some of these mid-20s kids who, you know, don't have continuity. Um, but, I mean, it's a pretty basic issue. It's The media needs to really – cover it so it's so obvious yeah but. john hey john this is general flynn I, i'm gonna you know i'm sorry that's not an excuse don't give them that don't give them don't give these people that are representing this country and their staffers any excuses that they don't know they're just that stupid Amen. everybody knows these people are they are working sadly the majority of them are working against the interests of the american people you know i mean this whole issue of follow the money that is a very, very damning statement, and that's all you got to do when you're in Washington, D.C. It's like they always say, the dirty little secret is as soon as you get elected, somebody's going to come up and whisper in your ear and go, if you do this, you're going to be taken care of like this and that. And believe me, it happens. It happens all the time. Do not give it's these not people— it's not even a whisper. It's, it's not a, a whisper. It's, Matt, it's you explicit. know this. It's explicit. People will walk up to you and ask you to sign a letter— like backing big pharma or taking a position opposite to what folks said they would do for their constituents. And then they will look you dead in the eye and say, and we'll see you at the fundraiser tonight. And I, I, I don't take their money, so it doesn't happen to me, but I've observed it daily, daily in Congress. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and I know our frustration, you know, in my court case, which was dismissed, it's one of the ones that John talked about was being dismissed as moot. In my court case, the DOJ and the DOD admitted that they were mandating EUA vaccines. And so, you know, we know this. And, and when we saw the NDA that just came out, we were pissed. All the veterans were pissed because the language still says that we, you know, it talks about it as if it was a lawful order. It's not lawful to mandate EUA vaccines in the military. Um, and so, you know, I do understand, like, we're pissed off, which is why, you know, we sent or we signed this declaration of military accountability. And it's taking this power, you know, we need to stop appealing to representatives and, you know, thinking that somebody's going to save us. We have to get involved. So I do understand your frustration, um, Dr. Jane. I'm frustrated too, but I'm also frustrated at the American people, at the inaction. And you look at, you know, Doc P. Chambers, he's on the border. He's somebody who's saying, I'm pissed off that there's an invasion at our southern border, and he's doing something about it. He's there almost every single day protecting, you know, Texas residents. And that's what needs to happen. We need the average American, you know, we the people to step up. So Jordan, you mentioned it's, you know, illegal to mandate EUAs for the military, but I'd say it's illegal, period, to mandate EUAs. Um, when I come into these spaces, I like to talk about Project Bioshield Act of 2004, the Bush era, anthrax, terrorism, all that fun stuff, right? Because that's really where things start. 
um, the first EUA anthrax vaccine was the first EUA. What are the parallels between anthrax and COVID? Well, anthrax was the first DOD wide mandated vaccine. Uh, and that when, when it was strictly military it was, it was quick for, you know, you had judge, uh, Emmett Sullivan declare that the anthrax program was an illegal program. Didn't, you know, it took like three years to, to get there, but anthrax was illegal because, you know, the DOD was mandating it for, uh, a use that it wasn't licensed. And then you had COVID, which, you know, now gets upscaled to the mass population uh, and similar things, right? So FDA was getting, trying to get away with this interchangeability discussion. Well, you know, there was the same formulation, it's interchangeable, but that conversation only worked one way, right? It was like, hey, the unlicensed product is the same formula, so treat it as licensed. Well, then why not just license it? Why go through this rigmarole and create this bait and switch scheme. And then you had the reason I bring up the FDA interchangeability scheme is because you had Dr. Peter Marks, uh, who was the CBER director at the time, or still is, I think in 2000. So early on, right in 2021 in Jordan, in your lawsuit, actually in Coker v. Austin, uh, Peter Marks submits a declaration that says, you know, Hey, we're not, we're not using interchangeable interchangeably, uh, interchangeability uh, by its statutory legal definition, we're, you know, we're just using that term medically. And, you know, when we were talking to officers who are, you know, supposed to follow lawful orders, they're like, well, what does this legally distinct mean? Why are you saying it's not, they're, they're two different, two legally different products, but they have the same formula. Like, I don't care about the medical formula as a military officer. I care that this is a lawful order. And so, you know, going back to this, this conversation, five, like the, the medical apparatus that gets built in 2006 transforms into the FEMC, which stands for the um, Public Health Emergency Medical Counter Enterprise. That, the FEMC just got codified in law in 2019. And you know who's a part of that, that team, the FEMC? You got, you got NIH, you got DOD, you got VA. You got um, CDC, of course, if I sorry if I already said the FDA, but you also have like intelligence communities involved <laughs> in the uh, in the FEMC. And so this is the the glue between all these three letter agencies that puts them all together is the FEMC. So when you Brad, see Brad, can, can you hear I me? Have to add, I have to add one more thing. While you had you guys running around fighting the EUA and what's approved and what's not and Comrade and all these packages. Can you hear me? Nobody was looking up nobody was looking up higher on the food chain. And the food chain and the food chain is the DOD. The food chain is it was illegal because it was a bioweapon. And if you don't believe me, read the work of Catherine Watch. He's a legal analyst who's put it all together and interpreted everything in the PREP Act. This was illegal because the military was being forced to take a bioweapon against the United States citizens and the military. If we had started at that point, it would have been a different discussion and not running around in circles with thousands of lawyers making tons of money, fighting EUA, comrade, what's on the package? Oh, it expired. Do you see what I'm saying? You don't have agencies anymore. I know. I used to work with them. They don't exist. They've all been um, subsumed up into the DOD. Same with the pharma companies. So that's, that's, that's it for me, and I'll jump out.
Thanks. Hey, Doc, I understand your passion completely. Like, I'm, I'm listening to you, and I understand your passion. I'm a paramedic that did CPR in a Pfizer line. I've run strokes, young strokes, young heart attacks. Tried to speak about what I've seen since the rollout of these shots. Seen enough death. The problem we're going to run into is our side of this spectrum of, of what's occurring. We don't have a lot of backup. If we want to actually do something about it, we're just thrown in jail. When the J6ers tried to actually do something, they were predominantly just thrown in jail for walking through a building. The other side can burn buildings down, take the poison, push the poison, give misinformation all day long. We're the ones that are censored. We're the ones that are imprisoned. And until the Matt, and I, I don't hate on you at all, but until our Matt Gates, our Marjorie Taylors, everybody else that's actually in a position to back us up, truly backs us up, truly lets us know, hey, you patriotic Americans, we 100% have your back, and this person does, and this person does, and this person does, then we're screwed. We have to have the backing of our upper echelon. We have to have true leaders willing to represent us, willing to show that they'll be there for us when the crap hits the fan. Until then, us medics, nurses, doctors that are seeing what's occurring, we're just going to keep seeing this death and destruction occur constantly. And it's very sad to witness. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much. Hey, thanks. We're going to hey, thanks, Harry. Hey, thanks, Harry. Appreciate that. Let's go ahead and uh, move to Charles. Oh, thank you. I, I didn't want to take up too much time, but uh, for those who don't know me, my, my name is Charles Rixey. I was a WMD Marine for 15 years, and I've been investigating the origin of the pandemic for the last four years. I am the person who worked with another person to leak the diffuse proposal. And so uh, uh, there's a lot of things that I could talk about offline with both Matt Gates or with General Flynn. Um, and specifically with uh, Cameron, I don't know if he's still here, but he was, um, but he's running for Congress in my district here in Northern Virginia. I would very much like to sit down with him but the bottom line is, is that there is a there's a massive amount of information that is missing related to what we know about the virus and what it has done to the people. And my friend Joe, who I was at a presidential fellowship um, at DARPA in 2020 and 2021, he was watching the adverse events come in because the Biological Technologies Office at DARPA was assigned to track ad adverse events for these new jabs. Why? Because they were the absolute global experts on the pros and cons of mRNA technology. And the diffuse proposal that we leaked proved, it showed that DOD doctors themselves had rejected the notion of a spike nanoparticle combination, even in bats. And so in 2020, Fauci took that and he decided to triple down on that, push everything else to the side and go for it anyway. And then 18 months after that, to mandate the entire force to get these jabs, despite what they were seeing with the adverse events before the mandate took place. And so one thing that I want, you know, General Flynn, and Matt Gates, and because uh, I've worked with 
several different committees related to the origin of the pandemic and stuff. But I want, want you guys to understand <laughs> is that A, they knew all of these things about how bad these jabs were. We have the proof about it. We're putting together grand jury testimony in one of the states that should begin shortly because we are going to go after these people. But we need to raise awareness because A, they knew that these jabs could not work. They knew they would drive evolution. They knew they would cause, they knew that this virus contained all these epitopes that would drive all these long COVID things we're seeing now and or the sudden deaths that we've seen. They knew all of it. We have. When you say they, are you talking about DOD leadership or the private sector pharma leadership? I'm, in my case, I'm referring to DOD leadership. And there's more things that I've not said publicly, but it was myself working with Major Murphy to release the diffuse proposal. We've not, got, we've not really gone out of our way to make that public, but that's what it was. And our original goal was twofold, to expose the experiments that were taking place and to fight against the vaccine mandate. And our hearts have been broken for two years watching did we did we lose you i know we've been having some problems tonight i don't know if people have been getting kicked out people have lost audio they've had to come back in uh that's happened to myself too but um can you hear me uh i can hear you now i think you cut out but i can hear you now okay well i, I won't i won't take too much longer but what i what i do want is i I want to connect with, you know, General Flynn, especially you, Matt Gates. I love what you've been doing um, because most any of the members that I've talked to in Congress outside of Senator Johnson and Rand Paul have been almost worthless. So I'm grateful for your leadership in this. And I have more information that needs to get delivered to you and to people like you who care about the truth because there's more to come and there's a lot of people trying to suppress that information from coming out. So I'm grateful that I was able to at least talk to you tonight. But yeah, first of all, DMs are open. Second, I don't know if you caught it, but earlier in the conversation, John and I were talking about using some of the infrastructure that he's building out to be a clearinghouse to get more of that information to us. Well, that would be beneficial. Um, but basically what I'm saying is, is I'm involved in legal actions and pending grand jury cases. I have a lot of evidence, I have testimony, and I, I'm looking for a safe place to where I can share the information that hasn't yet been shared and get it to the people that it needs to get to. And, and you two know are two of the leaders that I know will do the right things with this information. So that's it. I just want to connect with you guys. Charles, this is Cameron. I live in Orange, so it's not far from where you are. So I'd be happy to sit down with you. I just sent you a message. So let's definitely chat. We're offline. Okay, cool. And, and um, so other than that, um, just know that all of us share the frustrations. Um, I think I'm vaccinated myself, actually. And I'm so proud 
that this declaration came out, I wish I would have known about it beforehand because I absolutely would have uh, signed on to it. But, but the last thing I'll leave you with is the understanding that this is still happening. I was visiting Japan um, with my neuroscientist friend and we were in Hiroshima. And while we were in driving towards Hiroshima, I got a message from an active duty Marine officer who's become a very dear friend of mine. And this was in August and he told, or June, and he told me that in the previous seven days, he had witnessed two people go down with strokes, one after a three mile run, after PFT, and then another at the community pool on Quantico. And that was just two examples, but that was two years after the rollout. So I want, to, I want people to understand that the horrors are still continuing. And there are victims after victims after victims. And I'm, that's why I'm so grateful for you, Matt Gates, and for you, General Flynn, and, and for others who I know are fighting the fight. But I'm here to tell you that people are still dropping, including our brothers in arms. And I can't wait to testify on their behalf. Thank you. So we're going to go to Nate. And then after Nate, we'll go to Dr. Chris, then Ann Vandersteel, and then Ivan. And then we'll finish it up with Ted. And that's going to close us out for the evening. Really appreciate everybody sticking around for as long as we have. It's been great. Um, there's been a little bit of flair, which I personally am completely unfazed by. I think it's great. It's been a high energy event. Uh, I'm okay with people airing their frustrations. I think that needs to happen. And uh, I think to some degree that's productive. And for me, a little bit of spice adds some flavor. So I'm good with that. But we're going to proceed in the order that I just said. So Nate, Dr. Chris, Ann Vandersteel, Ivan, and then Ted, and we will uh, we'll close it out for the evening there. So Nate, you're up. Thanks for being patient. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I just want to start by thanking uh, you, Brad, um, for hosting this space and uh, for Rob Green and the many others uh, that, uh, that sign this, um, open letter. Uh, this is a great first step. And that, that is what, truly what this is. Uh, this needs to eventually, uh, translate, uh, after there's some justice on the military front, it needs to translate into other areas of government. Uh, for example, uh, the FBI and their abuses of power against whistleblowers. And for those of you who don't know who I am, um, I am a former, FBI whistleblower who blew the whistle on Uranium One. I'm also an Army veteran uh, who was forced to take all eight booster shots of the anthrax virus. So I want to thank um, uh, whoever it was that was bringing up uh, those issues related to anthrax, uh, because there were certainly uh, physical consequences that came of that. Um, the the uh, one of the things I wanted to mention is, and I, I think this is one of the big problems that we're seeing right now, and a lot of the frustration uh, that has come from, uh, I, know, I know that I've had, and I'm, I think many others have had, is just the lack of transparency. Um, you know, the government is supposed to be of the people, by the people, and we need to see, uh, you know, the communications that were going on between, uh, you know, the drug companies and the Pentagon, and we want to see... Uh, the communications that were going on between the Pentagon, the drug companies and groups like uh, the Cyber Threat Intelligence League, which recently there was a major 
uh, uh, reveal of documents that showed a massive propaganda uh, machine and censorship machine. Uh, there were multiple people who were screaming at the top of their lungs, trying to alert the public about uh, these things and warn people about these things. But quite frankly, uh, their accounts were shut down uh, and they were you know, completely uh, silenced in the media. And I think that, that it, they're complicit with this and they are part of the problem. Um, so I would like to see, and this is a question really for uh, Representative Matt Gates, um, but I would like to know if, if there will be a move by Congress to subpoena those communications to find out who was saying what to who and you know who was making promises to who. Hey, Nate, about... I think you left this space already. Oh, that's I don't too bad. See him here anymore. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll follow up with that. Um, but that that is something I think that needs to happen. Uh, I think we need to look at the Smith uh, the Smith Month Modernization Act and how uh, the government has been propagandizing the American people and how that has been allowed to happen. Uh, I'd like to see a repeal of that. And uh, you know, and I'm running for Congress. And you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about the need to support those grassroots candidates. And the fact is, is that uh, it is very difficult when you are running as a grassroots candidate, uh, especially when you are trying to do things the right way. Uh, there, without a doubt, is a uniparty. There is a selection that occurs of those chosen ones uh, who get, you know, a ton of money and a ton of uh, support uh, from the establishment. I am not one of those. In fact, um, as a just a practical matter, and I would encourage everyone listening to make the suggestion to your member of Congress uh, and see how they react. But why is it that Congress can have a meeting with a lobbyist in their office and that that meeting is completely off the books and completely, uh, we know that they had a meeting, but we don't get to know what's said in there. It's interesting that Congress allowed for the Freedom of Information Act to apply to the executive and the judicial branches, but it does not apply to them. And so regardless of what Congress does, I've made a pledge that I will not have any secret meetings, that every meeting that I have with any lobbyist will be recorded and made public or there will be no meeting. And I think that's a good start, you know, and, and an example of where we can lead by example. The other thing that I think is uh, absolutely uh, a necessity and, uh, and, and I would like to see, you know, this sort of thing happen is... You know, we need the support of people that have, you know, that name recognition, the people that are the heroes, the, the people that are well known. Uh, you know, General Flynn, I know, you know, you and I have talked and um, it just as a suggestion, having the support of somebody like you behind these candidates that are running, having the support of a Matt Gates or and other members of Congress that are actually backing these things, that absolutely helps because, it does help us to break through, you know, in the press where we get suppressed often. And, uh, and those are the kinds of things that, uh, that can be, you know, very helpful, uh, just, you know, basic aid in helping those grassroots candidates that are not the establishment, you know, break through the mold and, uh, and get elected. Obviously, we have to do our part. And that means that uh, I've got to work 10 times as hard as my opponent because I've got to get out there. And, you know, go and, and talk to the people and get in front of them because there's not, um, you know, the, you know, the half million dollars in my war chest, if you will. You know, um, those are the kinds of things 
that we can do as candidates. And, and I want to just end, and I'll shut up right after this, but I want to end with this one last thing, and that is that we absolutely cannot lose hope. This country, despite all of its ugliness, despite all of its works, is without a doubt the greatest nation on earth. It has a lot of problems right now, but we can overcome it. And this letter that was released that I am a signer of and that many others are a signer of and that there will be, I imagine, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that will sign the petition. That right there is what gives me hope because I know that people are not going to stay silent. And so it starts with us learning to not censor ourselves, but learning to speak out and be bold and say what needs to be said. So thank you with that. And I'll turn it over. Okay, Dr. Chris, glad we were able to uh, to get you up. So you're on. Brad, uh, Jordan, and John, uh, th- thanks for uh, being patient with me. Uh, I think I think it's all technical issues on my end. <clears throat> um, before I, I dive into the gene agents, I don't call them vaccines, uh, and I'll get into that when I when I get there. I, I just need to revisit the anthrax vaccine program. So uh, me. Um, 34-year Navy medical officer, um, board-certified preventive medicine, spent a double tour as director of preventive medicine uh, at the Navy and Marine Corps Public Health Center, since renamed Navy and Marine Corps Force Health Protection Command. What a mouthful. Um, uh, Six more years divided between two of the Navy's uh, regional preventive medicine units. Um, And so in 2003, uh, I was at one of those uh, regional preventive medicine units when we stood up the anthrax and smallpox vaccination uh, uh, programs. So the anthrax vaccine was a 40-year-old vaccine in 2003. Uh, the FDA had previously pro- approved it for use in slaughterhouse workers and in wool industry workers. It was only approved for cutaneous anthrax, and that was because... <clears throat> the slaughterhouse and wool industry workers did not have enough cases of pulmonary anthrax to prove efficacy of the vaccine against those conditions. So we can get the anthrax by three routes uh, through the skin. We can swallow it and it comes in through the gut or we can inhale it. And uh, with, with increasing um, uh, mortality, uh, cutaneous anthrax, the least mortal uh, Pulmonary is the worst, and uh, gastrointestinal is in the middle. So, uh, as I said, not enough cases to prove vaccine efficacy. So, DOD wanted to use the vaccine off-label in 2003. It was not approved for pulmonary anthrax. Same dose. We used the same dosing schedule used in those two industries uh, to, uh, to, to protect military members. We were just using it off-label. And I, and I do think that military members who experienced symptoms that were contemporaneous with getting the uh, anthrax vaccine, they may be misattributing the cause of their symptoms. I'm not saying their symptoms were not real, but these symptoms, as far as I've ever read, were not um, complained about by uh, wool and slaughterhouse industry uh, workers. So, so it's, it's an and people might want to be interested in knowing that 20% of all prescriptions in America today are given off-label, meaning that they're prescribed for the patient for a condition for which the manufacturer does not have an FDA-approved indication. 
It happens all the time, every day. All right, let's jump into the uh, these these gene agents. I call them gene agents instead of vaccines because they're genes. Um, many viruses have their genomes in RNA. They they their genes, their genetic code is in RNA, not not DNA like we use in all mammals and many other things, most other things. The um, RNA is is real common in uh, in all the respiratory viruses. And they, they, including H and actually HIV is an RNA virus. Uh, RNA does a little trick called reverse transcription. It, it back, it back writes its RNA genome as DNA into the host cells, uh, host immune cells. So it can never be cured. Um, and so a, a, a sequence of nucleotides, RNA, that codes for a 1,200 amino acid uh, protein, the spike. This is a gene. And it's no different from the, the actual gene in the, the virus. It's a gene. Uh, now, we could... People hey, understand... Um Sorry to, sorry to interrupt. I just yeah. know that it's really late on the East Coast, um, and we're trying to wind up and get some last-minute um, last speakers in. Would you be able to kind of make a point in the next couple minutes? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I wanted to focus on some of the harms um, that, these, that these agents cause. They, the harms they cause are legion, but uh, the, the, there, a number of them are associated with specific lies, and the lies are legion, too. Um, we were told, for example, that the, the, uh, the RNA goes away after a few days. There's now been researchers that have found that the RNA uh, has persisted and is recoverable for up to six months. 187 days was the tops. Uh, many people have what is called long COVID. Uh, I think it, there, is, there is room in the cards now that this is actually long vaccine. And, and I mentioned this reverse transcription because it has now been proven both in vitro and now also in, vi in vivo humans. Uh, this just came out within the last few weeks. A paper was produced that, that detected the vaccinal uh, DNA that was, that was reverse transcribed from the vaccine RNA in uh, white cells, the lymphocytes of uh, the immune system. Okay, so what may be happening to people who think they've got long COVID and really they have long vaccine is that having been written backward into their DNA, the, the, the genome, the, the gene for the spike protein now is transcribed forward in the normal fashion and the, the so-called vaccinees' own cells become... Uh, potentially very long-term factories for the spike, which has numerous pathologies. Um, so uh, people know about strokes and myocarditis, but I think that you ought to know about cancer. Uh, I've compiled a list of probably about six or seven mechanisms by which these, these uh, genes cause cancer. They, they integrate this. First, it was a rumor, but it has now been proven. The genes integrate into the cells, the host cells, chromosomes. And the problem is 
that these uh, that the it can't it can't be controlled where the gene integrates, and if it integrates into the wrong location, this is called insertional mutagenesis. Uh, it will it will alter the expression or the regulation of genes nearby. That's a problem. A gene that is overexpressed or underexpressed causes cancer. So by uh, improper location of of chromosomal integration, the gene agents cause cancer. And I'll and I'll and I'll ask you with one last thing: uh, a severe severe infection. Uh, with the virus, we've seen increases a uh, a substance in a blood. It's a regulatory molecule called PDL1, programmed death ligand one. A ligand is something that binds to something, a receptor. The the PDL1 binds to a receptor called PD1, which is on all of your lymphocytes, B cells that make uh, antibodies, T cells that do things. They kill cells. They they kill tumors. They kill viruses. They help program B cells to tell them what antibodies to make. And then there's another cell is called a natural killer cell. It also just, it's a dedicated search and destroy cell. Well, all of these cells are studded with PD-1. And the vaccines, just like severe infection with the virus, the vaccines increase PD-L1. At low levels of binding of the receptors by PD-L1, PD-L1 functions like the brake or accelerator on your car. Uh, more binding, that's the brake. Less binding, that's the accelerator. But at high levels of binding, the PDL1 basically induces self-destruction of all three of these lymphocyte populations. So what used to look like uh, immune exhaustion is really probably immune self-destruction. Uh, and, 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 and we could talk about and, and, oh, and, and because all of these cells are involved in tumor surveillance and suppression, especially PDL1, and through this PDL1 mechanism, <laughs> this is why we have turbo cancer. This is the most likely explanation. And I'll, and I'll, I'll give you actually one real Which, short last one. Well, There's hey, Chris, is there, a place, is there a place people can go to follow your work? I just know we're kind of winding it down. Is there a place that people can go if they want to research this more? Chris? All right. looks like we lost Chris. Let's move on to uh, Anne, please. Thank you. Hey, Brad. Thank you so much. Great space. Great people. Uh, I loved a lot what, what uh, Dr. Jane Ruby was talking about. And her passion is uh, just remarkable and her her uh, expertise is outstanding, but I'm going to come at this from a little bit different angle uh, on the constitution. I mean, frankly, we have to look at this from the, the, the suspension aspect of what our constitution is. As Jane said, this is all rolled up under the DOD. It really is truly a military operation. And the DHS has been relying on title 42 as their authority to keep sort of, you know, keep the gates welded open down on the border. I've seen it firsthand myself doing operation burning edge with Michael Yan. And if you read 42 CFR Part 70 and 71, you'll see that the government agencies are actually operating under the suspension of the Constitution. And they're using medical martial law. And little known fact, if you look up in the Federal Register on December 9th of 2020, they actually declared a Marburg pandemic. And that's a, you know, they declared a national emergency, again, suspending our Constitution. 
And so this is the reason why they're able to get away with this. I just did a post earlier this evening on it on my Twitter page. If you just go to my Twitter page, you can read, read up on all this and I give you all the links. But we also have a problem because Alex Azar, our, our Secretary of Health and Human Services, also doesn't even have a valid oath of office on file. We did the Freedom of Information Act requests over a year ago. We've sent these packages all over the place. We've uh, put in a petition for a writ of quo warranto by what authority do anybody in the Biden regime have power when none of them have a valid oath of office on file. So this comes back to what Jane said that I've been working on, which is tactical civics, because we can't rely on the people in D.C. at the District of Corruption or the District of Criminals. It is we the people, as we are the government, we need to stand. And, you know, part of our duty is we can actually form county grand juries. This is not unlawful. It's been done for a thousand years. Grand juries have been around forever. And our Constitution is founded on that. It's enumerated in our Constitution. And uh, we need to start acting as such and mobilizing. And I would encourage anybody and everybody to look at how you can do this through a very simple fashion at tacticalcivics.com. I've been out evangelizing this all over the place and it's starting to really take off. We have a big event on January 30th. Mike Lindell's jumped in. A lot of other big influencers are jumping in to push this because this is a we the people solution. Um, and I also want to just give some shout outs to uh, Carolyn Kane running for Congress down in uh, Texas and uh, Jeff Zink in Arizona. Jeff Zink, uh, who's a doctor, has written thousands of, of medical um, exemptions. And Carolyn actually has on her Twitter page you know, her press release, which talks about what she would do in terms of holding these people accountable and making it uh, impossible for for any sort of uh, waivers or immunities to ever be given to, you know, medical or pharmaceutical companies again, which is really what needs to happen. We have to become truly uh, a government of by and for the people. And uh, lastly, uh, Michael Corey has got a lot going on with the Erickson report that also holds these pharmaceutical companies accountable. So that's my piece. I know everybody wants to wind it up. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for coming on. And thanks for also being a voice for us. I know you've had some of us on your program. So appreciate you helping us share our stories as well of the uh, problems that we've experienced. And about to bring Ivan up before I bring Ivan Raiklin up, uh, Brother Green Bray, I want to just kind of let everybody know again, what actions you can take right now, you can help us to spread this so that we can get awareness. You can help us to do that by sharing this Twitter space when it's done. So people can listen to it later on the conversations that we've had. Uh, you can follow the speakers. You can follow the people who've signed this letter. You can support the candidates who um, have signed the letter as well. And we're going to have militaryaccountability.com up in, within the week. So once that comes up, we'll get the petition out. But if you're following us on Twitter, then we're going to be able to um, share that with you when you're able to sign it. So with that, I'll hand it over to Ivan Raiklin. I yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Brad, John, Jordan for co-hosting and then all the folks coming in here. I was hoping that Congressman Gates would still be sticking around, but that's all right. And then uh, General Flynn and all you guys, Nate. And then the rest of the 231 of the folks that signed it. For those that are active duty, remember, I'm, I'm reserved. So at the end of the day, it didn't really impact me because I was already past retirement. Folks like Brad, folks like John, uh, Jordan, they didn't hit retirement. So they lost a lot more. And there are others that were injured. I want to make sure that people understand as they're listening in, that needs to be stressed first and fo foremost, is that not only was there a moral injury as brad lays out in his sub stack not only was there a physical injury in some instances but there was also a massive financial impact that was had on pretty much everybody that was rooted out of the military for being early critical thinkers 8500 
that were thrown, literally thrown out on the street because they would not comply with an illegal order, okay? And then up to 80,000 that left early because they didn't want to participate in the absolute abject illegal and lawless activity of an institution that they dedicated their entire livelihood to. In some instances, some of us were spending 18 hours a day for seven days a week, uh, months at a time, if not years, constantly deployed, right? Now, having said that, here's the, here's the four points I want to make. For people that are asking, what do you, what, what's the plan moving forward? What can I do? Well, one person has a lot of influence, okay? Because think of it this way. If you have a lot of people applying a little bit of pressure, it's not as effective as one person applying maximum pressure within his own sphere of influence. And I use the analogy of an ice pick. So if you apply pressure to the sharpest ice pick possible, it's going to penetrate absolutely anything probably. And I mean that in a way where you need to educate yourself on this, on this subject matter or whatever subject matter that we need to, specifically as it applies to this illegal mandate, so that you can confront those that are reticent at a minimum or complicit in promulgating the unlawful mandate to get them educated on the subject matter. And you do that, and it's most effective in person, right? So think of that ice pick analogy and apply it to uh, this particular problem set. Number two, if, if Congressman Gates was here, uh, we've been trying to get this in front of him and, and other members, but at the, at the end of the day, this is not a, uh, I don't think we win this in the courts, as we've seen. We don't win this in the executive branch uh, unless we can get more whistleblowers to come out. So hopefully this will be a motivating force for more second tier whistleblowers to be inspired and motivated to come out and expose everything that they've seen over the last three years of what they uh, experienced and have access to in terms of data. I'm not here to advocate any lawless or unlawful activity, but they are sitting on information and maybe somebody like a Matt Gates who serves on the Weaponization Committee and Armed Services is the vector to be able to provide that information. And, and as Congressman Gates said, John Franks uh, has, has volunteered graciously to be the conduit to help facilitate those connections if you guys want to use that. I know Nate Kane has been through that whistleblower uh, process. Kyle Serafin, as well as you know other folks such as Doc Chambers, Teresa Long. There's many of us in here that have been whistleblowers. So if you're a member of the executive branch and you're listening in and you're absolutely sick of what you've seen and you're now finally able to uh, or are willing to take that bold next move and join us, you, you, we need whistleblowers, right? Because that's what's going to expose all of the rot in the very institution we're trying to clean up. Number two, the uh, uh, going back to the Article One branch, you have several committees that are responsible for exposing this rot. Number one is the COVID Select Committee chaired by Brad Wenstrup, who is the subcommittee under Oversight Committee. Now, Oversight's busy with other things. But Congressman Brad Wenstrup needs to focus his efforts at this point, now that we've had this massive space and a lot of support for this particular letter, to go ahead and schedule maybe as early as end of this month to bring in many of the people that you heard tonight to go ahead and lay out the case to the American public, again, uncensored in a broader way on C-SPAN. 
because the FBI cannot censor C-SPAN. They can still censor Facebook, CommyTube, YouTube, uh, excuse me, uh, CommyBook, all of those, right? Facebook, CommyTube, and, and Google, etc. We need to get it out there. The other committees are going to be the Armed Services Committee, Subcommittee on, on Personnel and Readiness. But still, a subcommittee is not that powerful. A chairman of the committee, Mike Rogers of House Armed Services Committee, he's probably one of those that Matt Gates was referring to. Remember when they had the altercation in January? It's because Matt Gates was calling him out probably, and that congressman, Mike Rogers, is beholden. These are my words and my assessment. If you follow the money, beholden to those defense interests that are destroying our national security and are destroying our nation. So what do we do? We need to expose him and bring the necessary massive ice pick level of political pain so that he folds. Okay. So those would be and then weaponization obviously could potentially maybe hold a joint hearing amongst those three. And then lastly, I'll say the judges, while haven't been doing anything because, let's face it, when was the last time we've seen any sort of massive courage on the court in its history? Not much. It only comes when there's public pressure campaign. And now that we're able to organize in an uncensored fashion here on X and then hopefully in, in the House via C-SPAN, we can then convince with content neighbors, friends, and family members of judges that are hearing these particular cases as they apply to addressing the illegal, unlawful, illegitimate, belligerent COVID, I call it the CCP-19 mandate that mandated and coerced folks into accepting, in some instances, if it was the Pfizer or Moderna, DNA mutilation injection. It is unacceptable, and I'm absolutely honored to be one of the 231. Thanks, Ivan. Let's move to Mara, and then we'll start wrapping it up. Hey, sorry. Mike was, uh, Mike wasn't very close to me. I have my headset in, so I had to go get my phone. Uh, I just want to reiterate what Matt Gates said when he said he needs help in Congress. Well, everybody here heard that, so I'd like to call on all of you to call on him to start supporting those congressional candidates like myself, like Cameron, like Nate, because if he really means it, and he's not just grandstanding this time, then he'll do it. Then he'll, especially from in my instance, I'm running against a guy who called out Matt Gates, and he said he wanted to punish Matt Gates for... Um, for the speakership vote or for, for the motion to vacate. If Matt means it, if Congressman Gates means it, he'll take action. This isn't a matter of um, just saying something so that we'll all be happy. He just said it to thousands of people. He said he needs help. Let's call on him to get that help because we're not going to make a change if we don't have people in there that are willing to represent you so at that i'm i'm finished for the night thank you all for your time and uh hopefully for your support because we need it we need to change this country and we are running out of time so everybody have a good night thank you thanks mara and then uh, as we start wrapping up we'll 
we'll give some of the last words to Rob. Rob, you out there? Yeah, Brad, I'm right here. Uh, I just want to thank everybody. A quick message of gratitude. Um, as we've been fighting this thing for several years now, um, I knew we needed to go on the offensive. And so since early November, I've been trying to come up with, with the, the ways that we do this, um, how we can do it lawfully. And, and frankly, th- this, this is what it ended up being. I actually, when I first drafted this declaration of military accountability, it was two pages. And I'm so grateful for some of those strategic ideas that um, in our, in, in our small group that you kicked this back to me, Grant Smith, Brad, uh, Ivan Raikland, you, you guys gave me um, fantastic feedback. Ivan, especially you, you said one page, it's gotta be one page, um, make it one page now. And so, um, so I'm so grateful uh, for, for your help. Um, and, and especially for all the 231 over the last month who have been sending signatures into me so we can get it on this document. I'm so grateful to all of you. Um, and then what has happened today has been explosive. I wanted to do this early morning. It's a military operation. It's a fifth generation warfare operation for hearts and minds. Um, and that has been my approach. So we wanted to do this at 4 a.m. this morning. That's the maximum you know, rim cycle time. That's, that's when you initiate an attack, an offensive. So that's what we did. Uh, and I am so grateful, Brad, to you and all those who have made this offensive a reality. I think it took people by surprise. It's what was in you know, our heads as we were strategizing for this. Um, and it, the outcome has blown me away. I can't believe that it has reached the number of people it has reached and it has elicited this sort of response. So my brother is feverishly working on the website. Uh, it's militaryaccountability.com. We hope to have it live tomorrow. We have drafted the petition uh, today. I sat down and, and wrote it out, um, and we hope to have it there with the declaration on the website, militaryaccountability.com. There, all Americans can make a similar pledge that we will hold our government leaders accountable. We no longer consent to be governed by those who use their positions to enrich themselves and to trample our rights. We are going to remove them. And, uh, and so all Americans can make that pledge there at militaryaccountability.com. And I am so grateful for all of you, the thousands out there who have listened here, who have helped to spread this. Um, keep it up. Uh, you have all from all of us, the 231, you have our gratitude. Thank you for standing with us. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for your words tonight, and thanks for everything that you've done, uh, particularly with this. You certainly are a true leader. General Flynn, thanks so much for being here with us tonight and for uh, speaking and sharing some of your words of wisdom with us. I just wanted to ask you if you had any parting comments for the group, sir. No, you know, the only thing I would offer is just follow-up, follow-up. Ivan kind of hit on a couple of key issues, but, we, you know, now, you know, this is the this is the you know kickoff, right? So now we gotta we gotta get this thing over the line, so so to speak. So follow up and uh, and and just keep driving. And I love the comments there at the at that that Rob just made. Uh, we have got to get this country back. I mean, and this is how we do it. This is how we do it in the in the in the country that we continue to have. So um, so I'm I'm with you. I'll do it as much as I can with what I've you know with the time that I have, but. But I'm 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 with you and I am for uh, moving this thing forward. So, you know, God bless you all. And thanks for uh, for doing this. 
All right. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining. And again, just to reiterate some of those action plans, things you can do right now um, as this Twitter space is done, go ahead and share it. We recorded it, so share it with others so they can listen. Um, go ahead and share that letter with others so we can continue to raise awareness. Uh, those people who are here as speakers, please you know, follow us, share us, share our content. I mean, a lot of us have been speaking out for a long time, and this is just breaking right now, but many of us have done other interviews, op-eds, things like that. So Go ahead and support those candidates on the list. Follow us, share this information. Um, and with that, I'll hand it off to Brad to close out. Hey, thanks so much, everyone. Really appreciate you being here. And um, th for those of you who spoke and shared your stories or shared information, thanks so much for doing that. Uh, this was actually a jam-packed event. I know we said in the beginning that we'd aim for about 90 minutes. We did more than twice that, but um, but we got a lot done. We had uh, a huge turnout. And so I would just encourage people just kind of as a parting thought. Um, of course, we did end up recording it so people can go back and listen to it. So uh, those who might not have been present can still take advantage of what was said or what was shared tonight. So um, please go ahead and link the event so other people can go ahead and listen tomorrow or whenever they get a chance. And with that, again, I would just say, everyone, thanks so much and uh, have a great night. tomorrow or whenever they get a chance. And with that, again, I would just say, everyone, thanks so much and uh, have a great night.